Welcome to episode 29 of Sketch Watch Play. Please have a seat. I am John Flurry, and we are a once or twice a month geek pop culture podcast talking TV, film, cartoons, and video games. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and most general podcast apps and directories. Please consider subscribing to us on your platform of choice to stay up to date. Follow us on social media. We're at SketchWatchPlay on Twitter and Facebook.com slash SketchWatchPlay. And we encourage you to leave feedback on those. Uh, so certainly leave reviews on iTunes. I believe iTunes promotes shows more often when they have more feedback like that. You can also email us directly at SketchWatchPlay at gmail.com. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And even suggest possible topics for us to talk in the future. We will legit listen to those. Now, if you listen to our previous two-part episode, you already know this. But in case you don't, Chris is still in the middle of a hiatus from the podcast. He has had a much heavier than usual workload. And he's sinking a lot of time into big personal projects, particularly the will of monsters go back to our personal project uh, episode here and talk that so in the meantime we're i'm doing what i did last year and doing a rotating a rotating door revolving door of guest uh, co-hosts uh old and new, including what we're doing today. So to follow up on Felipe, we have another guest host from his main podcast, Generation Animation, making his uh, SketchWatch Play debut, Mr. Dave Roberts. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm I'm very well, thank you. Uh, it's unseasonably hot in the UK at the moment. It's so, seasonably uh, hot in the US right now. Um, we're recording <laughs> this the day after the 4th of July, and thankfully mm. that was a little cooler than the previous couple days, which hit triple digits. No, thank you very much. Yep. We struggle whenever it is slightly sunny and, and ever so slightly warm. Whenever it's, it's not raining? <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much any day that it's not raining is a bad day for us. Dave is a UK native for, for people who are unfamiliar with him up to this point. And funny thing, that, that was a learning experience for me today where you go by the GMT time zone and you had said, all right, let's do it at 10. And I use a site to convert it. And I just started, it turns out, I was an hour late, and thankfully it's not that disruptive, but it's a learning experience, and I'm not going to use that side again. But yeah, we don't need to go into that much of a deal about generation animation, because Felipe did, and you're on as well, but that's not your only project, I believe. It's not, no. Unfortunately, I am the man who takes on more projects than he can manage. So I'm um, that man too, I just don't finish a lot of them. Oh yeah, it, it's a failing of mine. It's something I'm working on. I'm, I'm getting better with it. But yeah, there's a few other podcasts. There's a couple that I do with my friend Tom Campbell, um, DJ with uh, with Heart FM. Um, the the first of those was Weird Science, which is a uh, kind of retrospective look at ECW, specifically the uh, WWE ECW that mm-hmm. aired on Sci-Fi from 2006 all the way through to I think like 2009 maybe. Um, we'll get there eventually. And something that we started recently, which is called uh, Dave and Tom Versus, which is just a little half-hour weekly show where we just pick random topics that we want to talk about and then just go off on them. Nice. Um, that's good fun. We recorded one earlier today where we talked about France and uh, football coming home and world of sport wrestling. So that, that should be that should be a fun one for people to listen to. And um, Eerie International is uh, is one of my other uh, podcasts that I'm on. It's a horror-based podcast. We talk about movies, TV, anime, uh, as well as books. Uh, books is something that we've really gotten into in, in the last year or so. And actually, we've managed to get some fantastic uh, interviews, uh, not with uh, just authors uh, like um, uh, Laird Barron, for example, or John Langan, but also we've uh, managed to get a couple of directors on as well. Um, to speak about their process and and the films that they've brought out most recently um so it, it's that podcast is really kind of taking form and, and growing at a, a pretty decent uh, yeah. rate 
I've listened to a couple and I would certainly recommend it. I'm just not that well versed in horror. But can I just say how happy it made me to see a podcast full of people praising that movie Dolls? Yes, yeah, yeah. Great eighties horror movie from the guy who made like Puppet Master, but it's legit. Oh, it's from Sir Gordon, the reanimator director. That's a legit great movie. It is a really fun movie. Like it wears its B movie kind of uh, status on it on and its embraces sleeve. it. It absolutely embraces it. Can it can be legit funny and legit creepy, like and it handles those tones very well. It does. There's some fantastic special effects. Um, yeah. oh, go listen to that episode, or better yet, watch the movie, then listen to it. But Definitely yeah. watch the movie. I would yeah. recommend anyone watch the movie, and then, Same. yeah, uh, go and listen to the, the episode after. Yeah, uh, so we do have a main topic that we are going to get to, and this is actually, I think Dave has, hasn't listened to us before, and I actually am realizing, I think your format to Area National is, is kind of similar, where you start out talking about like just stuff you recently watched rather than a main mm. topic. And then yeah. get into a specific one from any time period. And that's kind of what we do here most of the time. So let's just get right to it since I have kept you up late. My thing first is I have been playing the hell out of Detroit Become Human for the PS4 exclusive from Quantic Dream. My name is Marcus. Just like you, I was a slave. Thank you, Marcus. Then I chose to open my eyes, to take back my freedom, and decide who I wanted to be. Mm. Um, now, let me just ask real quick. Do you have any prior experience with Quantic Dreams games? Oh, yes, very much so. Mm. Um, I played Fahrenheit. Uh, which yes, was, also called Indigo, Indigo Prophecy in the U.S. Right. That was yeah, the first. the U.S., it did have a different title. Um, I played that back in the, the PS2 days. Yeah. Uh, I got it for like a bargain price. It was honestly, it was the reason why I bought it was because it was so cheap. Oh, I do that um, all the time. Yeah, and, and, but it's a great way of discovering little gems that yeah. you hadn't otherwise uh, It was a of. cool kind of proof of concept for where they were going to go. Uh, Very that. much. Because yeah, I like, feel like there were still a lot of people who didn't know about that or Omicron, or I believe Omicron, their first game. But a lot of people heard about Heavy Rain, which they did afterward. They did, yeah. And I, I played that as well. Um, mm-hmm. so, and uh, then after that, I kind of tapered off a little bit. I, I didn't play Beyond Two Souls, even though I think I picked it up recently. Yeah, when it, Beyond yes, is probably. decent, but it's I'd say it's their weakest of their Sony titles. Uh, mm-hmm. Like real, like real quick. Um, so this is this French com- company called Quantic Dream, and this the, you know its head guy is a guy called David Cage, and they kind of he and the he, them I'll say it's a, it's a collaborative effort. They've kind of set up the original template for like more cinematic choice driven adventure games. If you ever played stuff like Walking Dead or Life is Strange, mm-hmm. a lot of those concepts were like Quantic Dream was the first to kind of bring bring it to the mainstream. So gotta give them some credit for that, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're actually I will say their games do tend to be pretty divisive if you go look online at opinions and I can kind of understand why because I will say and I say this about all their games even the ones I really like if they were just movies I don't think they would be anything special but the fact that they really cleverly integrate that interactivity in terms of choice making and direct control during like really tense action scenes that gets you so into it and Detroit may be their strongest effort yet in both regards Um, and (laughs) Just to, I'll, I'll just say right now, up till we start recording, Dave thought I was talking about the movie Detroit last year from Catherine Bigelow, <laughs> which yeah. I have heard, I have heard good things about, but uh, that would be a very depressing talk. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 apparently, that is a great movie though. And actually, you could draw some parallels to this. Do, have you paid attention to like the plot or concept about that game at all? Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of talk about the fact that it really kind of draws on the black experience in America, the civil rights per- particularly. Civil rights um, yeah. It wears that metaphor on its sleeve pretty much. Uh, I think that's one thing people have a problem with David Cage's writing is that he's not exactly what you call subtle with his themes or characterization. 
Yeah. Uh, but again, it being in a video game can make that experience work a lot better than it would if you're just watching it. Uh, it can, but I, I think maybe there was an aspect of people maybe just saying, well, how can he write about the black experience? And right. bear in mind, I'm a painfully white man myself. Same. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, we need Chris on this episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we really do. Um, like, uh, you can't really write about, write about the black experience when you're not black yourself. You haven't lived that life. Like, he's, yeah. he's a white Frenchman. He had, he's not even an American. So no. he can't really necessarily write about that experience. And yeah. although he can he can be sensitive as he can to yeah it. i will say there it didn't come off as insensitive just not yeah. anything you haven't seen before but yeah. like i'd say actually all the central concepts of this story where the idea is it's like you know 2038 uh androids have become commonplace they look just like people except with little led lights and you know bio organs um and the main thing because they're they're kind of designed as hardware like every different model is, is maybe something specific like construction child care uh Sports athlete jogging, sport, like all sorts of, of neat stuff, uh, cashiers, and but there's there's a possible there's a, not even possible there's this thing that's starting around where they're becoming deviant, which is kind of like replicant from Blade Runner, where a glitch makes them develop full because they are not programmed to feel full emotions or free will, and then all of a sudden that happens, and obviously some conflicts happen, and much like Heavy Rain, because Beyond was their only their only game like this I can think of where it was just one character, and both Heavy Rain and Fahrenheit you would switch between multiple ones for each scene, which I like, and this goes back to that you have um, Marcus who is owned by a rich guy who she's she's even and basically becomes the quote unquote MLK who decides like he finds a bunch of other. Uh, de- deviants in hiding is like no no that's not this isn't freedom let's actually make our voices known and the cool thing is you can it's totally up to you if you want him to be aggressive or pure pacifist and that is actually they do a thing that uh telltale's done recently where it's like you have little meters showing how good or strained your relationship is with characters or public opinion like arrows will go up and down mm. and it's a cool motivation to make you go like okay let me try and appease this person or a group a little more because you're probably going to develop favorite characters the other two are Kara who is a housekeeper bought by this just total piece of shit father um who is like snorting drugs just ranting and drinking and worst of all uh abusing his daughter and she goes deviant when she sees that and flees with the daughter and it's like okay i'm your caretaker now we gotta start a new life let's go about figuring that out and the third and my favorite and a lot of people's favorite from look of it is connor who is the first android detective and when you play his parts it's straight out of something like la noir or, or ace attorney investigations or where you're just a lot of it is going around crime scenes piecing crimes piecing evidence together and reconstructing crimes Another reason that I lo- Connor is just great in general because he doesn't talk. He's the one android that doesn't talk completely human-like. At first, I was wondering like, is he a bad actor? Is he a foreign actor? And it's like, no, it's an American guy. They're just at one point somebody even asks him like, why the fuck do you talk like that? It's like I'm built to appeal to do please all dialects or something like that. It's and the fact that he is not a deviant makes his bluntness. They give it a lot of good both comedic and storytelling um, opportunities. Is there anything you'd like to know about me? Hell no. Well, yeah. Um, why do they make you look so goofy and give you that weird voice? Cyberlife androids are designed to work harmoniously with humans. Both my appearance and voice were specifically designed to facilitate my integration. Well, they fucked up. Uh, the acting is all around really good. It's a gorgeous game. I don't know if you've watched videos or anything. I've seen uh, a few, yeah. It's yeah, like... They, they, they iterated on the Kara demo for me three. Yeah, that was previous. the proof of concept, really and that got such a pot of feedback. They made a whole game out of it, and even got back the same actress. I think they said that short is canon as Kara's origins. Yeah, um, 
Quantum Game always specializes, if you look up, uh, they do almost all their main characters are mo-capped by the actors and also made to resemble them. Uh, they do a really good job of avoiding the uncanny valley while still going for heavy detail. The environments are really nice. Like, a lot of it takes place in winter, so you got these slightly futuristic environments with gentle snowfall. Uh, the, they work with the soundtrack's great. They got three different orchestras and, and conductors for each campaign, basically, for each character. There's a lot of substance to... Like I said, the themes are simple, but there's a lot of in, content in this game. Um, just playing through it once will take you, like, 10, 12 hours, which I feel is pretty decent length honestly but it's a good length um, for a game now, yeah. yeah and so they've always been you know they've always been pushing even before and even more than telltale and companies like the impact of choice in shaping your story uh because both heavy rain beyond and fahrenheit could have a lot of different outcomes and endings depending on uh dialogue and action choices and this even returns to the heavy rain thing where uh most of the, your main characters can die, and that's it for their story. The exception being Connor, because he's government-backed, his AI is in the cloud. So if he dies, he just sends <laughs> a new body. Um, and oh, I will say, uh, Beyond was the one time... They usually get uh, like unknown actors. Beyond was the one time they went with celebrities, because they got Willem Dafoe and Ellen Page. And they mm. seem to dial back on that. But the, like I said, the cast is good. And there are two character actors, who I think certain people recognize. Uh, I know you've mentioned one of them in the past... Marcus's elderly owner is played by Lance Henriksen. Uh, yep. And people point out how funny it is that he's best known for playing an android, and here he's a human. Um, mm. But he's wonderful, actually. His screen time is brief, but he gets some great lines and little introspective moments. But my favorite overall, Connor's cop partner is, because kind of classic buddy cop where he's a washed-up, drunken, grouchy cop who's like, I don't like androids. But he's played by Clancy Brown, um, <laughs> who I have always... That guy's great. Mm. Uh, and... Better. Yeah, and I always just tell people, because you know, most people don't know who that is, but first off, uh, I know you're a Highlander fan. He's in Highlander 2. Yep. My brother loves, a lot of people just love Shawshank Redemption. He's that head, tall prison guard who's like, yeah, I'll give you a drink if you tar the roof. Uh, he's been in a lot, a lot of random movies, uh, including horror movies, Pet Cemetery 2. He's actually hilarious in that. Uh, but also, he's a voice actor. Let's Luthor in the 90s Superman cartoon, the villain in the original Crash Bandicoot games, and to this day, Mr. Krabs. And he's terrific in this. Like, these actors were not half-assing it. Mm. And probably the coolest little addition, because it still plays generally like you expect a modern Quantum Dream to, you know, quick-time events, uh, using the right analog stick for gestures of action. But you also get full camera control this time, which I don't think Heavy Rain did let you do. And the coolest thing, because, you know, to really encourage that replayability and, and knowing what you can unlock, have you seen the flowchart feature? I've not seen that, no. Okay, this is actually, I think it's divided some people because it kind of breaks the illusion of how much choice there is. But for every scene, um, when you beat it, before it goes to the next one, it shows kind of like, imagine brackets like a tournament style thing, but just going to the right. And it'll show show you, you know, it'll everything starts out grayed out and locked and it'll display the ones you did. And you can even see uh, percentages of the world and of your friends list of who chose the, that, that choice the most. And it lets you go back and replay any scene um, and overwrite your save file from that point forward to try and see if you can figure out and find what those other choices are because uh, there's just tons of little branches for a lot of these choices and like some of the previous games very different later scenes depending on stuff mm-hmm. like so far I've done two full playthroughs and uh, scenes for characters especially Kara Kara can get two like two very different climax scenes uh, mm-hmm. I think the same can go for Marcus and maybe uh, Connor and a wide variety of... Because did you play Heavy Rain more than once? 
Uh, I I started a second playthrough, and then okay. I realized that I could just go on YouTube and watch the endings True. that way. And you can so do this as well. That, uh, yeah. But I'm a sucker for PS4 trophies, so there you go. Uh, uh, yeah. Also, this lets you. Do, I think this lets you specifically start from any scene. I think everybody had to do, always start that fresh. Um, and everybody didn't have the uh, flow chart either. But yeah, this is. Uh, what was I getting at before that? But it, it's very. It's I. I'm welcome the flow chart because I've been going back and trying a lot of different things and seeing like there is a large, large variety of branches. They can be minor things like at one point, Kara decides to cut and change her hair color, and you can choose her hair color the rest of the game. And there are a lot of supporting characters also who can be killed off and saved. And yeah, outside of Connor, they at each death they they commit to it, mm-hmm. and that's almost in it, always on your hand on your on your hands. It's like blood on your hands, pretty much. I view what am I looking? I have a little list here. I will say, yeah, Connor is my favorite. Marcus is pretty good too. I think uh, he has some some side androids who lead his move, movement, and they're very. The interesting thing about that is that they are on very different ethical sides of how to do it because you have one who wants to be fastest and this girl who wants to be like, kill them all! And so you're inevitably not going to please everyone there. Um, Kara has a lot of great moments because I do love that on-the-run concept. I will say one reason she's probably the weakest is... Now I get the vibe they were definitely inspired by the success of the first Telltale Walking Dead. Did you ever play that? Yes, I did. Yeah, I was a big fan of that. Yeah, because everybody, you know, everybody latched on to Clementine. Like, no, you got to protect her, got to make sure. And they do the similar thing here with this girl, Alice. And I'll say this. Alice is certainly pitiable. Like, the her design, I'm guessing it's the same actress. She looks really cute and sad, so you feel for her. But she says and does so little that she ends up coming up with a little more of a plot device than a character. And that is kind of a fatal flaw to making you super invested in to the degree you want. There's still a yeah. lot of great scenes there, but on my replay, that she was the most like, all right, let's get this over with outside of discovering new stuff. Uh, it, but, and that's kind of a shame because you get a lot of games where the, the idea is, you know, rescue the princess or do this yeah, or do yeah. that. And and that character is a little more than just like an, an empty yeah. avatar. No, just, you they yeah, establish she is a very tragic and mm-hmm. uh, unjustly punished character because her dad's just such a monster. And so... Mm-hmm you feel for it, but she doesn't really do much or say anything to keep you interested, which is a shame. Um, though you do, like I said, there's still some great, there, I mean, there are parts uh, of Car's story in particular, actually Marcus has one too in a junkyard, there's some stuff in this that's not just sci-fi, it feels straight out of a horror movie. Like, when you're captured by a guy who is like, modifying deviants into like these contorted monstrosities just for fun, uh, mm-hmm. or when you're in a junkyard full of dead and dying deviants and there's like a wall of arms grabbing you, like, there's some immersive, effective moments in this, and like I've said, even if it's not subtle, you know, it, being able to control it can make all the difference in a world. So yeah, I speaking as someone who generally liked uh, Indigo Prophecy, really liked Heavy Rain, wasn't big on Beyond, I would still say this is probably their best effort so far uh, in my book. And mm-hmm. I didn't even go into, and this is brief, it really, one really cool thing it does, it has a ton of unlockables. Every you know node or bracket you unlock on the flowchart gives you little um, in-game currency, and you can unlock character models and bios, uh, the soundtrack, a ton of making of clips, that original Kara clip, concept art. Like, there's a lot to go for for completionists, and it's kind of cool for them to just go the extra mile like that when they could have just sold it on the on that main game. And that feels like something that games used to do before the advent of trophies. That sadly we don't really get anymore. Um, well, there's also the internet in terms of concept art and clips, uh, mm, but this is yeah, still yeah. for ease of but access. Models, you just things like that, you know, like uh, there, there was a, a time when you only played through fighting games so that you could unlock 
other characters. Yeah. And now it's like, no, complete this person's story and you get a silver trophy. And it also complete. was why we barely have cheat codes anymore. You ever notice that? Yeah, no, they're, they're, they've really fallen by the wayside as well. Um, and honestly, I partly put that down to the fact that a lot of the time cheat codes were there to power up your character so you didn't die so often. And right. now it kind of feels like we've moved away from the idea of you get three lives and then the game's over. Because, you know, that was something that was... Yeah, but I also wouldn't mind them that are that are just goofy fun. Like stuff like I'm a big Saints Row fan. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they did have some cheats and they would disable achievements and such because you could use, you know, otherwise you'd use them to cheat. And I wish more yeah. games would do stuff like that that are just fun little things to toy around with. Well, yeah, um, I remember there was a cheat code in Driver. I don't know if you remember that game for PS1. I've heard of it, but never played it. I've played the uh, 360 uh, San Francisco one. Oh, uh, nice. Okay. Yeah, so um, when Driver first came out, it was it to- toted, uh, or touted even as being this big competitor to Grand Theft Auto, which at the time was only a 2D top-down. Yeah, down. GTA hadn't blown up quite yet. Yeah, I think GTA London was out at the time, mm-hmm. and or maybe even GTA 2. And so Driver was the big hope because it was this three-dimensional driving game and you couldn't get out of the car, but yeah. still it was a 3D driving game. And there was a cheat that you could use which basically jacked it up onto stilts. So it was almost like a monster truck. And the number of times that I just used to just rag it from one end of the map to the other, jumping over bridges with these stilt-like yeah. extensions to the suspension, and it, it broke the game constantly. I remember one from that area that blew my mind. Um, I can't remember, because I was an N64 guy. It was either Shadows of the Empire or Rogue Squadron, the Star Wars games. I think one or both of them, you could do Chico's to just unlock like Imperial ships and such. Like... Shadows of the Empire started with the Hoth Snow Sphere level, and you could all of a sudden just, oh, you're the ATST now. And I'm like, they didn't have to do that, but they did. Or, uh, and I think I think the same thing goes in Rogue Squad. Like, any of these levels can be a tie. Or, oh, in Shadows of the Empire, you can be a Wampa for one level. What the hell? Like, <laughs> and that's, I'm like, I'm not, saying that. not everybody would even know about that. Back in the day, you'd have to go uh, searching on magazines or the web, but and it's this cool little bonus. And I... It's not. I'm sorry, I, I, it's not that I'm saying that developers are being lazy or anything like that. No, it's, it's just games are a lot more expensive and time-consuming in the main areas nowadays. Yeah, and, and it's just a shame that uh, it seems that as soon as trophies came along, suddenly there wasn't this need for all of this extra stuff that you could just stick behind a, a mandatory kind of like complete, yeah. this, complete that. Um, so, but it's nice to see there are some games that are still doing that. Yeah, Detroit really does... I've said what I view as a shortcomings, and I think you can find you know fully negative reviews that it's a lot more. But um, I think Dave Cage even said when people were initially criticizing him about that allegory, he's like he said something along the lines of like the, the way I view it is I think people should try to you know t- do their do their spins on on issues like that in pop culture because even if you fail, it's better than just ignoring those things. Um, and like I said, there's not anything in this that I view as offensive to uh, to people who would who would see the allegory or take it personally. Uh, it just doesn't not do that much you haven't seen in other f- fiction like movies or, sh- or books or stuff. But take but giving a AAA game budget and that whole branching path mechanic and the beautiful presentation adds a lot. And yeah, this it's shaping up to probably be one of my favorite games of the year. I don't know if that's going to be a common opinion, but if you at all en- enjoyed uh, Quantic Dream's last couple of games, by all means, give this one a try. Mm. No, I think I will when uh, I have the time. So the hopefully is, I have caught your interest in that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the problem for me is more yeah, just... I, I love like the fact the, that it was the, the thing the you got most vocal about was the, the uh, unlockables. Mm. Uh, the sheer number of games that I have on my list to do you know, like I, I think I've got like half a dozen games that I've not even started yet, and it's just adding oh. to that. 
Uh, you, you haven't started what? Uh, I've got like half a dozen games, including The Witcher Three. Oh yeah. And, you know, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Uh, no, sorry, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Shadow isn't even out yet. What am I talking <laughs> Give it time. about? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, there's there's plenty of games that are sitting on my shelf. I've got two Final Fantasies I need to play, 12 and 15. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I've kept trying to go back to 12 because I bought it on PS2 and I just couldn't get the PS2 to look good on a, a modern TV. Yeah. And now they've released this remix of it and uh, I'm looking forward to playing that. But again, it's about finding the time. So once I've got through half a dozen of those games, maybe I'll have the time and the opportunity yeah. to I still need to play past the first rebooted Tomb Raider and the first Witcher so there you go damn uh, right now I'm trying to finally finish Assassin's Creed Odyssey and I got that at Christmas oh man uh, that so, looks like fun I, I, I haven't played one since Brotherhood I think oh it's grown it's grown and changed a lot by this point um, yeah. but yeah so Detroit Become Human Storm Recommend uh, and I'll give the movie Detroit a theoretical recommend for ethical reasons, at the very least. <laughs> but now your turn, Dave. Uh, mm. You have been watching some of the recent DC Comics Space TV shows. You guys ready? I was born ready, Hoss. Okay, let's suit up. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the CW network has uh, a whole raft of different shows. Mostly um, in the Arrowverse, as they call it. The Arrowverse. It's still yeah, weird to think that they're a separate universe from the DC movies. I know. Um, I'm kind of glad of that at this point because I think the movies haven't taken off. I mean, I, I'm an apologist for the movies. I, I think they're. Just I fine. kind of am. Um, yeah. I do like to varying degrees all the ones I've seen, and I skip Suicide Squad because even my brother, who liked all these movies, he's like, "No, John, don't." Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I I wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt because um, the, the director of Suicide Squad, you know, I, I loved Fury. I thought that was. Uh, mm. it, I had no interest in watching the movie and then I had a ticket bought for me and I went and sat down and watched it and I just fell in love with that film. I thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, and you, and to, to be clear, you're talking about Fury, not Suicide Squad. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then I watched Suicide Squad and um, she started dancing and it was weird and I couldn't watch anymore. So uh. <laughs> it was it was a strange one. I think it had the bones of a good movie, but it was cut together by people that didn't understand. I think the director even expressed frustration with the editing of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he had it taken away from him essentially. Yep. Um, the people that did the trailer for Suicide Squad ended up getting control over the edit of the whole film, which yes. I'm not sure if that's ever a good idea because trailers are a very different beast to the actual kind trailers of can itself. give you the wrong impression all the time, good or bad. But uh, really Arrowverse, mm, yeah, so the Arrowverse or the Balantiverse, as, as some refer to it as well. Yeah. Um, I've I, I have varying levels of uh, of love and disdain for this particular movie uh, universe or not movie universe TV universe. Uh, I absolutely love Flash. Arrow obviously kind of drew me into all of this, and now I just kind of watch it more out of habit and because there's going to be crossovers, so I should know what's going on everywhere. Supergirl, I have the entire third season left to watch. I just kind of tailed off. They do this really annoying thing since the writers' strike of God knows when, how long ago, uh, back when Twenty Four was still on. That was like they, the late two thousands. That was like a decade it ago. Was yeah. They've decided that it's actually a great idea to take a TV season and split it into two halves. And I'm not a big fan of that because it Netflix is doing that too themselves. Yeah, and it, there's no need to do it. It just kills any momentum that you have. And that's the problem that I had with uh, Supergirl and, to an extent, Arrow, mm. is that I went away. And then, then they came back at a random time, 
Uh, my DVR box started recording them, and, and now they're all sitting there. Exactly, they're all waiting there, wait, waiting for me to watch them. I've watched Flash religiously. I'm done with that. I'm through it. It's great. I love it. It's hopeful. It's fun. Everybody is just really good at the role. They've all grown into their roles tremendously. They've managed to bring in characters like Killer Frost, and they've had multiple versions. Who I had not heard of until I played Justice, I'll admit. Oh, yeah, no. Injustice is, has been a fantastic game for getting people uh, interested. Oh, I praised Injustice 2 in our Transformers episode last year. Go back to that. Yeah, oh, I will. Uh, that that game series, uh, Injustice 1 and 2, and the associated comic books, yeah. very, I, very cool. I will mention, because you brought up the Enchantress and Suicide Squad, I, since I haven't seen Suicide Squad, I didn't buy her Injustice, I'm always going to associate her with being interrupted by the Ninja Turtles in that character reveal trailer. <laughs> that's the best way to think of her i think that's the <laughs> best fighting game character dlc ever no no contest absolutely like they knocked it out of the park with, unless they uh, get the power rangers for injustice 3 i mean you never know you never know yeah, yeah. Never know. because ninja turtles aren't even a, a wb brand it's viacom do you know i saw a, a mod for final fantasy 15 talking yes, about that. yes i retweeted it's <laughs> amazing yeah. It looks superb. I was just all about it. I I, I kind of want to get it on PC now. Just I so kind of do, too. I didn't beat the PS4 <laughs> version. Maybe when Steam's on sale. Oh, man. Yeah, no. I I, um, I think it will it'll be available for a decent price at some point. I'll get it. Yeah. But, yeah, so the, the, the Flash TV show, I think they've done a f- fantastic job. They've kept it fairly lighthearted, which I think is key. That's one of the biggest complaints with the DC. Mm. Too dark. Yeah, oh, Good yeah. Movie. There's been massive kind of that's been one of the big problems oh you made it too dark and gritty they went and reworked justice league because of that backlash they did they did and i think that it benefited for the most part but then there was a lot of people including um some from my own podcasts including tyler for example who said that you could very clearly see two different movies yeah you could you could see the dna of snyder you could see the uh the dna of uh, of um the other uh, director whose name eludes me at the moment. They're very clearly two different movies spliced together. And I mean, again, I enjoyed it. I kind of like the slightly darker take on things. Uh, but I do think that Superman was probably mishandled in that area. And, and generally, I think they were going on the wrong, on, on the right kind of lines where it came to Justice League in kind of rebooting the character somewhat, giving him a little bit more hope giving him a slightly more colorful um, outfit not a problem that you have in the uh, the the arrowverse because most of the outfits in that are very colorful yeah uh, more direct but, from the comics yes very much so um very very um they they wear their inspiration very much on their sleeve on their legs on their faces all <laughs> i was over gonna say literally yeah <laughs> um arrows quite dark I, I as i said I've i've been watching that mainly to keep up with things um, Supergirl is good. I, I like uh, Melissa Benoist, I think is how you pronounce it, although it's tempting to just say Benoit. Um, or Benoist, maybe that's how it's pronounced. Someone will correct me on it, I'm sure. I think after um, Chris, people would rather not say Benoit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that it, there's too many bad memories there. Um, and the cast there, again, are, are generally quite good. I thought that season one of Supergirl was fantastic just for the fact that they had Calista Flockhart in there. Who did and she play? She, um, uh, she played um, Cat. Oh God! Is it an original character for the show? She's not an original character. She's a deep cut character from okay. Superman. Um, she was uh, basically a fellow reporter who had a bit of a crush on Clark Kent at one point. 
and they allude to that in the show as well but yeah it, she's not been in there since like season one she had a couple of cameos in season two which is a really cool little character and it was nice to see Ali McBeal back at it yeah where's she been exactly like married to famous Hollywood stars I think that that's taken up most of her time that's a good tease uh, actually but uh, the the main falling down as far as the the entire Arrowverse and where it kind of started going wrong for me because I was married to these shows absolutely religiously married to them do you Mr. Uh, Roberts solemnly swear to take Arrow yes and now I want a divorce please because (laughs) not um, exactly I, I liked Legends of Tomorrow, the first series of Legends of Tomorrow. I was going to ask about that, yeah. And then the second series came along, and they got rid of Rip Hunter, who was kind of like the main character, the guy that brought them all together. Huh. Also happened to be played by the guy that played Rory in um, in Doctor Who during the Amy Pond years. Okay. And I just lost all interest in the show. And it wasn't just because he left. It was just kind of like, this has run its course time travel they've done it they've saved the world what do you do now oh we How do can the you same top that again. exactly like i feel like they probably went a little bit too hard too fast and and burned themselves out so i kind of lost interest in that show even though it did have the benefit of having uh, the atom in it and um yeah basically any character that appeared at one point or another on any of the other arrowverse shows mm-hmm. and suddenly didn't have a home ended up on legends okay i just didn't give a shit i genuinely did not give a shit and I, it's not lack of star power it's it's just I, I think that they didn't have enough story to tell so i stopped watching that and then i think what didn't help was that they had a crossover event between all four hmm. and it was a uh, crisis on earth x which earth x is like nazi earth where the nazis won the war and it was so great man of the iron castle very much so, yeah, yeah. Um, or Wolfenstein. I, if, yeah, Wolfenstein definitely has got an aspect of it there. And I watched it, I absolutely loved it, but I came to the realisation suddenly that, oh, the legends were in this, and I didn't need to have watched their show to know what they were up to before. Oh, that says a lot. And at that point, I suddenly realised, I don't need to watch any of these shows if I don't want to, because they're going to catch me up with what's happening. And so that's what's basically led to me only really watching Flash and I'll get around to Supergirl when I have time but it's not appointment television anymore and I don't think much is honestly Westworld I absolutely love the first season of Westworld I've got the entire second season sitting on my box waiting to watch I've heard a lot of backlash for that second season I've heard there's a lot of backlash as well I'm not entirely sure why yet and I'm sure I'll get to it I know Uh, I heard one podcast saying the show's gotten too far up its own ass now (laughs) That is entirely possible. Um, uh, that first that episode, confirm or deny. I think the first episode, because I, I did sit down and watch most of the first episode. I, I'd say didn't grab me in the original first, like the series, the first episode of series one did, uh, which is a big problem because if you can't grab me uh, in a, with a show that I'm already invested in, that's bad. That is bad. I'll go back and watch it. Hopefully, I'll enjoy it. But I, I think sometimes actually it's a benefit that if you've got one of these big event shows like a Game of Thrones or you know like a, a Breaking Bad if you come at it after the fact when everybody has already blown smoke up its ass or got really disappointed with it it helps to either temper or reinforce your expectations in a way that watching it at the same time as everyone else doesn't allow you to yeah. it almost gives you a little bit of um, a, a 
a disconnect from it um and emotionally you don't really feel oh i have to like this because everyone else is watching it it's kind of like how i felt about walking dead in the last couple i've heard of that a lot about walking dead for a long time i gave up on that as soon as negan was a thing because basically i stopped reading comics at the same point there's a point where he takes a baseball bat and does something to a character and it's horrendous to two characters i heard about that i watched the show yeah yeah um certainly in the comic book it was only one of them um, oh they made it worse in the show yeah they they doubled down on that and um, i think a lot of people I, that broke a lot of them yeah i i skipped out on both of them at that point because i was like okay i don't need to watch this anymore my favorite character's done ah there you like, go literally, literally and it wasn't even like oh you killed my favorite character i'm going to punish you by not watching you anymore i was hate watching it by that point huh? it wasn't a good show and I can admit that now because I'm again I'm, I'm disconnected from it. And you I, lost I, your last strand of what can like endeared you to it. Yeah, yeah, and I was just like I'm I'm completely done. And everything I've heard about it since has completely reinforced my view that I'm glad that I left when I did. Because the one it, thing I know about it that I think is amazing, and I mm-hmm. think I know it's something you're familiar with, is that one of Negan's underlings is Trevor from GTA Five. I love that. As soon as I saw him playing Simon, I was like. Yeah, there's my boy. Yeah, because he looks like Trevor. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was a really smart thing that they did at Rockstar when they were making GTA. Was They said, look, we're going to get these actors in, and what better thing can we do than make the characters in our game look exactly like the actors? Because It then varied. Uh, Franklin's guy looks like 20 years older, but Michael and, been- and Trevor are pretty on point. They've been kind... With, with Franklin a little I'll, bit maybe I'll, I mean I like his acting I'll give him mm. that he's not a bad looking dude either they just he's meant to be someone probably college age or something uh, yeah, but anyway so, so, yeah, so to, to, to the, wrap up yeah. the Arrowverse stuff from what I'm getting you would if we're talking the, at the shows where they currently stand you would still mm. recommend Flash I would definitely recommend Flash I think Supergirl's got a lot of heart and that's something that I would still be watching had I the time mm-hmm Arrow, I can take or leave, but I'll carry on watching it because I feel like... It's still important to the greater narrative? Yeah, to the narrative, I think Green Arrow being the first show to come along, the show that set it all up, and really... The the Iron Man of the group. Yeah, to to an extent, I think so. So I I think I still need to be watching that. But as far as Legends is concerned, like I need to have bothered watching it to begin with, and I don't know why anyone does. I hear good things. I have friends that watch it, and they say, yeah, that was pretty good. Tastes are always subjective. That's how it works. It, it, it very much so. But as far as the, um, the, you know, everyone suffers from FOMO, the fear of missing out. And um, I don't think that there's a problem where it comes to crossovers and FOMO with the DC CW universe. I, I just don't think it's something. Yeah. Infinity War, on the other hand, <laughs> well, you should probably I mean, be caught up if you're going to see that movie <laughs> there are films you can skip but the problem yeah. is you don't know that until after the fact you probably have to get an expert to sit you down and say you can skip these but watch this, this, this. there's still a lot to watch um, there is so, so yeah uh, you'd recommend, still recommend full recommendation for, for Flash and Supergirl partial for Arrow and partial for Arrow yeah. thumbs down for Legends I wouldn't yeah. bother with at all yeah. also you did remind me real quick shout out to my friend Elizabeth long time DC fan and cosplayer she dressed at a previous con as Speedy from Arrow. Uh, oh, nice. She's been she's dressed as like a bunch of different Wonder Woman versions: the movie version, the movie like ballroom dress, and the Justice League cartoon version. Uh, <laughs> and she is currently filming as an extra in Wonder Woman Two. Sweet. 
I'm really interested to know whether that, that that can't be Steve Trevor. That can't be him. It's got to be an imposter in that trailer. The, the, well, not the trailer, but the, the publicity. The movie. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be kind of cheap to revive him, but we'll see. And yeah. uh, uh, So I think now might be a good time to get into our main topic. Uh, and we, I have a good reason for picking it while Chris is not around, which I'll get into. Hello and welcome to the Quindecum. My name is Deckham. I'm the bartender here. So, uh, what is this place? This is where the deceased come first. Two deceased will be coming here shortly. We're going to ask them to play a game on which their lives are staked. Now, there are two reasons why I suggested to you... I think you were kind of open to suggestions for the main topic. Uh, there are two reasons why I picked what I did for this episode. One, you are a huge anime fan. Um, bigger, I think, like, of our main co-host, Chris is the bigger one of me in terms of modern stuff. Uh, me, I'm kind of picky, and I was super into it in high school, and now I just, if something catches my eye, I watch a little of it. Mm. Uh, and, but two, this is one of the anime from recent years, I think it's from 2015, that I discovered kind of by chance, because I had heard of it, and it had gotten high praise from, like, reviewers. But when I brought it up to Chris early on the show's life, like, would you be interested in discussing this? He was like, me and my wife gave it a three-episode test. It wasn't our thing. So even though it's an episode that it shows only, like, a single 12-episode season, you know, I don't really... I would never feel like forcing Chris to sit down and watch something we both already knew he didn't like. Yeah. Um, so what better opportunity to discuss it than an episode where Chris isn't here? That sounds like a slam on Chris. It is not. <laughs> but we are talking the TV anime Death Parade, which I kind of get the impression that as much critical praise as it's got and as much as people who have seen it seem to like or love it, it's kind of flew under a lot of people's radar. Yeah, it definitely. apparently did not do well in Japan, for one thing. I, I guess it's going, we're going by ratings or such. Even though it seems to have a good budget behind it and a very reputable studio, and I look at the director, he's got some cred too. I, I wrote down real quick here, his name is Yuzuru Tachikawa. Uh, this is not the first series he was the general director of, but it is the first he created because he did a indie short. Um, I have yet to watch it actually called Death Billiards, which actually utilizes the same concept and main character, Deckham. And that got him the green light to make a show out of this. But looking at episodes of the show he has directed himself, uh, highlights include Attack on Titan, Bleach, one of your favorites, yep. uh, Kill la Kill, one of the recent Lupin shows, Steins Gate, Terror and Resonance, and the overall director for Mob Psycho 100. He definitely has some experience. So it makes sense that something that would come as kind of a labor of love on his side would make for a good show. Granted, a kind of unorthodox compared to a lot of anime so maybe not for everyone but i first properly watched this uh two years ago i tried out for a little while funimation streaming service because they were the uh they're the north american uh rights holders and localizers Mm -hmm. and i saw it there and i tried it and it hooked me and i blitzed it because it was a very short series and dave i'll just turn over to you a second you mentioned you would watch a little bit of this back in the day i had yeah yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where you go on Crunchyroll. Uh, our good friends at Crunchyroll. And, <laughs> that's a um, joke. They, yeah, very much so. Um, and uh, I was just looking for something to watch, and I think I'd I, I'd um, I'd been watching a lot of Death Note again. And oh, uh, we'll bring I, that up. Oh well, no, that that will get brought up again later. Yep. Um, and so I I think maybe I was typing Death Note in, and I got as far as Death, and it suggested Death Parade, and I was like, okay. This yeah. looks interesting. It is like the a- same animation studio, Madhouse, who's done a lot of great stuff. Uh, I know you guys talked about Redline, like probably one of the most visually amazing anime movies ever. 
Um, just absolutely batshit crazy that movie yeah good, and they do close. insane stuff they do stuff in between like they did one punch man they're not here in the second season but that first season was them and they've been around for a long time i think old stuff like ninja scroll and wicked city that was them what's really impressive with that studio is just even though you can definitely tell like uh just for the the similarities between like death note and and, and death parade mm-hmm. there are very similar characters Themes. um designs like the, the way they draw their characters the the color uh, that the they lighting use. they love exactly. stark light but, lighting but for every one of those you have a red line you know and yeah. that they have a such a, a varied um portfolio of anime it's really impressive they even worked in western stuff a little bit i remember when they did the pilot for megas xlr that was them yeah no, i mean that's just ridiculous <laughs> that's ridiculous. a completely awesome it's awesome, but it's like show. it doesn't look anything like anything else that they did. Yeah, well, it's nice of them to try different stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate it when uh, studios will step out of their comfort zone and do something in a new and interesting way. Yeah. So you said you watched like what half of the first episode? Yeah. I honestly I don't remember why it was. I only watched half an episode. It might just have been one of those things where I just couldn't concentrate. And, and it might have been priorities when you're in the middle of other shows like Bleach that have hundreds of episodes. Oh, God, yeah. Tell me. Tell me about it. Bleach. No, you tell me about Bleach. I've only seen one episode of it. <laughs> Man, I was watching it back in the day when it was still coming out. Right. And like that was in the, the days of that bio um, fan subbing and, and all that kind of stuff. Bit uh, <laughs> you get the old torrent going and you download the episode. And, um, you know, of course, if they were available legally, I would have bought them. Right. But they weren't. So you, you find things however you can, don't you? Yeah. Um, Shows like Bleach and One Piece blew up over here long before they were properly localized. They did. And, you know, things like Bleach are still not fully localized, at least not on things like Crunchyroll, which I know in the UK it's the official home. Of I mean, did they run Bleach. all Bleach on TV at least over... I think they did they never showed it. No, that, that's the funny thing is that apart from Film 4, who do the occasional Ghibli movie um, late at night, there really isn't an anime presence on TV in the UK. And that's oh, in I, yeah, that's true. They, I'm they like, over here we have like Toonami. Yeah, like obviously we, we do have Toonami over here as well, but it tended to focus more on Western? The, the, the Western output. Right. Um, yeah, no, they've always had Anime Central, which was a dedicated Sky TV channel for anime for all of like six months. Yeah. And they had things like. Um, also, small tangent. I remember hearing that apparently Sky showed Legend of the Overfiend on broadcast TV, and that blew my mind. Because <laughs> you know what that is. Holy shit, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Urotsuki Doji, that is. A- Don't Google it. Oh my word! Yeah, unless you like tentacle porn, you're not it's gonna. It's the OG really tentacle, <laughs> and yeah, no, but we're not talking about that. Um, no. But actually, do you remember if you watched it that first episode, knowing what the overall premise of the show was? No, I hadn't a clue. I was discovering as I went. Along. That was uh, honestly, I'm going to say right now, if you haven't heard of Death Parade or its premise, and you're curious about l- watching it before you listen to it, is go do so. I believe in the U.S. it is still on Funimation service and on Hulu. And granted, the Hulu one is sub only. Funimation has both. And actually, I know you watch the sub. I watch the dub. And not only did I watch on their streaming service, but at a convention a few months ago, I went and bought the whole thing on Blu-ray because I love it that damn much. If you watch just the just the theme song alone, doesn't tell really tell you what you're in for. Uh, granted, I do love that theme. That uh, theme is so atypical of what the show is. I love it so much. It's <laughs> it's totally at odds with the tone and these characters. But honestly, if we got a show that was true to that theme song, I'd still probably want to watch it. 
because um, you're seeing yeah. all this just outlandish stuff. Like, you're on DDR pad, these giant columns and swings appear. The boss Nona puts on a dress and sings show tunes. Uh, somebody's ice skating on the ground. Somebody's shaking their butt and just... <laughs> that's not the show you're about to see. Uh, granted, there is one thing very true to it that I noticed when rewatching it. Uh, our main character, Deckham, never smiles in that opening. The only character looking constantly dour. Uh, which has a terrific payoff in the actual show, I will say. But So, you watch that first episode, and I actually did try showing this to my brother Patrick, past guest in the show. He's even more of a casual anime fan than I am, but he still wants to give him a shot. Um, and I told him, just watch these first... He liked, We watched the episodes, and he liked them. Um, but I was t- watching the first one, like, yeah, go in blind. Because you start out with this dead couple, husband and wife, coming out of an elevator in this very swank-looking bar and this pale, monotone uh, bartender. Who do, this is the, prem- the initial premise for most of the episodes, and we'll get to what's going on behind it, where he's saying, like, they have no memory how they how they got here or, and, mm-hmm. like, the past couple of hours of their lives. And he's telling them, all right, listen, I'll explain to you in a bit, but you got to play a parlor game. Here, do a roulette. All right, play darts. So every time you get a different game, like, you're going to do air hockey, you're going to do a street fighter, tournament fighter type thing, and... The gimmick is he starts to explain there's like a very morbid twist on each of these. Uh, in the case of the first episode, it's so each of the dart zones corresponds to an organ in your other the other person of the couple, and they'll feel pain in that. And when they first at first refuse to play, he opens a window and you, they see what appears to be a bunch of strung up corpses back there. So if you were just watching this so blind, you'd be like, is this like a saw equivalent? Is this guy a sadist? What is happening? But as they play, they start to gradually recover the memories of these last couple of hours, and that is how this system of arbiters they call is set up. Basically, this is purgatory. They send down pairs of recently deceased people, sometimes connected to each other, sometimes not, and they've been doing this for ages, and they have a full system and method and bureaucracy to it. What is going on here is how they are judging you worthy of you know, as they try to recover their memories, ending with the moment that they realize they're dead. But they keep that a secret because when, I forgot to mention, Deckham also makes it clear only the winner can leave alive. And as he puts it himself, my job is to draw out people's inner darkness, see if they're really willing to sink to horrible places about to, you know, survive over others. And once the game is done, like regardless who won that game, he sees their actions and judges them worthy of, as he called it, heaven or hell. But in reality, it's resurrection or the void. So just a really neat concept. Like the idea of being judged for, for your fate in the afterlife isn't anything new, but this is kind of an interesting twist on it. Mm, it is. It is. Um, I, I think that one of the things that eventually as you get further into the series and, and then you kind of have the it gets explained to you more in like the the second episode what's actually going yeah. on and even and then, more past that about like the mechanics behind the lead up to like how like yeah how did the, why are the arbiters getting their memories what's with the how you get their bodies stuff like they thought this through one of the things that kind of confused me a little bit and then slowly began to infuriate me before i just kind <laughs> of accepted it and moved on was this idea of so basically you're not just judging them on who deserves to be cast into the void and who deserves reincarnation it's almost on a sliding scale it's like we're going to take these two people and we'll reincarnate whichever one of them is not as bad as the other I think there's only one episode where they both get reincarnated the teens and the third one Uh, for the most part this is a very dark show 
It is, but they, they keep putting them in separate elevators, don't they? Like, yeah, the two, yeah. The, but if you elevators. watch that third episode again, they both it ends well for both of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to think so. Yeah, uh, no, <laughs> the elevators are set up for both. One goes to the other place, or both go to the same. It's not. It's not impossible sense. for for <laughs> them to uh, avoid. Uh, yeah, to avoid. I, I think maybe they could have made that slightly clearer, given the fact that they have a, a devil's head mask over the top yeah. of one elevator. Like a smiley mask yeah. and an oni mask. That's how you yeah. know which uh, who goes where. But they yeah, don't see but, it. But that was the problem, was that if I remember correctly, and I may have misread it, I think they still had an oni mask over one of those elevators in, in that episode. So I I don't know. Maybe okay. that just was, was not as clear as it needed to be. I didn't rewatch really uh, that whole episode for this. Maybe you're right. Somebody correct us. But uh, yeah, they don't they don't confirm that. I, I but I assume it's it's possible for both of them to get happy endings. But yeah, let's be no, frank, a lot of these con- stories wouldn't be as interesting. I definitely that. hope that they do. That's for sure. Yeah, no, they had a pretty happy ending. I thought. Um, even though like the morbid part of that is like, yeah, you're bowling, but you're touching people's organs through the ball, and they can feel it. But even that <laughs> doesn't get in the way of a cute little love story with a twist. Yeah. Um, and that's not even there is an overarching plot to this and it mostly involves Deckham ends up getting you get to see kind of the hierarchy and bureaucracy of the Arbiters and to be to, they make it clear the Arbiters aren't like they aren't really you know people themselves or dead reincarnated mm-hmm. people they're dummies basically they, don't, they lack a proper soul and conventionally lack full emotions which is kind of a rule uh, yeah and, they have like three rules don't they they have they have a couple, and obviously it's not like you see other like Deccan's boss Nona, this tiny green haired lady. She comes off as a real ice queen. Like she can get kind of pissed about things. And then there's Ginty, supporting character, who's kind of Deccan's opposite. In that he's you know a fiery redhead who's just kind of a, an abrasive asshole. Uh, yeah, very but, angry. Though it's also because he kind of feels detached from it. It's he doesn't actually seem to give a shit about any of the people he judges. And Deckham, on the other hand, he's certainly reserved and proper, but very, 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 very soft and just solemn. He just doesn't tend to emote. And, you know, there are a lot of things where, like, these people are screaming at him, trying to hit him, and he just doesn't budge. He doesn't flinch. It helps that he has, you know, Spider-Man string. Um, (laughs) Invisible puppet strings. I kind of love that. And that does tie into the fact that they touch on yeah, like do you think like wait how do they get the corpse of these people or something? They don't. They make they have these base dummies that they make a replica of their body of and temporarily have their soul in there for. They're not interfering with the human world hmm. uh, past reincarnation. And so the main conflict that comes in when the first episode ends and we're introduced to now I'm not gonna treat it as a spoiler. Her name is Chiyuki, but we don't know this till the last handful of episodes Absolutely. because she's a weird. They explain as it goes on. Uh, she showed up. And there was a weird thing going on, which he remembered that she was dead and, and such, and what that was going on, and knew what was going on, and therefore refused to participate in the games, and Deckham couldn't accurately judge her. So mm. Nona goes and wipes her memories and says, she's going to be your temporary assistant with all of this. You can judge her during this, and then eventually you can figure out, once you know her well enough, make up your own judgment for her. And uh, Chiyuki is both, early on, our audience avatar to learning the prior process, because the second episode is... Not quite a clip show, but it is kind of a recap of the first episode. But the majority of it is you you see that Chiyuki and Nona were secretly in the shadows of all these scenes. And this is kind of a training exercise because Nona was explaining to her all these little rules about how the process works. Even like how they make sure there aren't going to be – there is no like easy 
easy, clean game because they can rig the games to malfunction just to incite conflict. Uh, and as things go on, Chiyuki starts Lord. to become more and more the voice of kind of empathy and criticism of the process because she is still a human soul with full emotions. And she's touching on both I kind of feel like you're giving them these scenarios where almost anyone could break and go evil regardless of their morality. Uh, and we'll get to the only two-parter of the show that really emphasizes that. And also the fact that who are you to be judging these people when you can't even experience the emotions that they know? You can't, you can't, you can't identify with these. This isn't right. Um, and that ties into what turned out to be her purpose and Nona's plan towards the end. But I've been talking a lot. What is something you'd want to bring up about anything in aspect of this show, though this well, chronologically, it's uh, it's funny you, you mentioned the the first two episodes and the way that they kind of tell the same story from different uh, points of view, right? And um, I, I mentioned just before we uh, we we started recording that um, to me it, it did remind me somewhat of kind of like the the Rashomon kind of style of of storytelling, like this idea yeah. that you get one story from completely different points of view. Yeah, and it, and it's, it, it's, it's not different. the case where, you know, every story is slightly told differently, like a lot of Rashomon or parodies, because, you know, people remember stuff differently. You're seeing the same story, but from a different hidden perspective that's also feeling the character and the audience in on more of, like, what exactly is going on here. Mm. It's a kind of a and neat way to get to understanding of what's going on. Like, what? Obviously, it changes your understanding of, of what's happening. Uh, it gives you a better idea of what to expect from the show and yeah, be on and, the and same partly, page. Partly, that, partly that, that's due to the fact that you're already in the know of, of what happened and, and they have the big reveal at the end of the first episode anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it does also, if you... You could watch these um, the other way around, and it would kind of change your uh, understanding of it as well. It, the the entire like um, from the player's point of view entirely. Yeah, like if you were to watch episode two first and then watch episode one afterwards, I should try that. <laughs> it would it, it's it, it would definitely change how you looked at it. But, yeah. Oh, that's one thing I love about episode two is that episode one seems to end in a very firm place of morality for the wife, and then. Kiyuki gives you know another view a second opinion and it kind of leaves you unsure if Deca made the right call mm, which um, becomes a massive part of the overall series which is like Dekim essentially questions whether his way of doing things is the right way and yeah. Kiyuki becomes almost like that angel on his shoulder like the, the Jiminy Cricket to, yeah you just did Pinocchio I was going to say yeah yeah just, just she's, she's her con- conscience so, um yeah, it, it it gives you that kind of idea that um, he does need an understanding of emotion in order to be able to judge these people correctly because Chiyuki is almost making better judgments and, and uh, decisions about these people than he is. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that the, the aesthetic of using different games, whether it be darts or air hockey or, you know, the the arcade fighting one for me was one of my favorite games just because... Oh, it's great. It so clearly felt like a Street Fighter game. Yeah, you can tell uh, the people behind it knew their 2D fighters. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, also the fact that that's the first moment where you really kind of felt like Deccan wasn't entirely just... An observer. Yeah. Like Let's talk he, about that episode because hmm. episode one and two got me interested. Episode three I like, but I think it is one of the weaker ones because it's not quite as dark or conflicting. Episode four not only had me officially going like, this is fantastic, but I was like, found myself just crying for like the last two minutes, like along with these characters. They managed to get you really invested in characters you only know for an episode or two. 
yeah that, they do a fantastic job of doing that um it's very rare that you can watch a single episode of anything and yeah. have a real emotional and even more than that because that that fourth episode so the idea is that the two the two those two victims are unrelated to each other one is kind of a reclusive otaku who you get the feeling he had he was insecure and depressed because his mom mistreated him as a kid and he ended up committing suicide just feeling like kind of lack of driving life the other mom the mom the, the mom was basically the japanese kate plus eight if anybody remembers yep. that thing uh she has like i think four or five kids which for those yeah. who don't know japanese average families that's a lot of kids for them to have over there she was like a reality tv mogul but you get the sense that she was very increasingly neglectful of her kids and just kind of a bitch to her agent and in fact that's what happened her agent strangled her um mm-hmm. and i do love the fact that she starts out thinking she's on a hidden camera show and she's Calling, to, you know, pulling the nerd aside and telling her like how, how to play things up for the ratings and the audience, and then eventually it does start to hit her. And because Deckham will answer anything except what is really going on, so he does confirm, no, this isn't a hidden camera show. And man, that's like that's the thing where like I love how like the the arcade game you were talking about how it re- accurately reflects stuff. Man, it starts to hit hard when they do their special moves, where like the mom yeah. summons her kids, but they all do barely any damage. And one of the flashbacks you get for the otaku is that he had a stepmother who was hoping that, you know, one day he could learn to call her mom and she seemed really loving. And his last memory is of her crying in the ambulance, which is just, like, so sad. Mm-hmm. And and she did a lot of damage. And by the end – oh, that's another disturbing part because Deckham rigs it so, like, her joystick breaks. And I love the fact that it's, the camera's focusing on Shuki arguing with him about that. Then you hear this slam and everything goes quiet. They quietly turn. And you see that the mom has snapped, and it's just slamming the nerd's face into the monitor over and yeah, over. And that, it's that was just difficult. This horrible moment of fuck. Very and difficult to watch. And then you get that. to the end where this it, they are not as they don't take the, with the reality of this as well as a lot of other people. They kind of snap. The mom just she tries to beat up Deckham, gets strung up, and the nerd is just quietly like, "Why did I do this? Why am I so messed up?" And that's. That's I, that's the strength of the show that I hated the mom for most of that episode. They make no beat around the bush. She's a pretty shitty person, and then you start to realize she's she's like sobbing like I was so out of control for most of my life, but I felt like it was just getting started. And I need my my kids need me. I need my kids. I do care about them. And that part where the first time Deckham you see it get a hint of surprise in him, and she's like, "Look, just get me back to my kids. I'll do anything you want." And that, what really got me is you know he just grabs both of them and hugs them. And he just says one thing, you did the best of you could. And it's just like a solid minute of them crying and Shiyuki watching. I, I was kind of a mess watching that episode, I'm not going to lie. Do you have anything to say about that episode? Um, outside of like what you've already said, not really. Um, the, I, I, I did, as I said, I, I really like the aesthetic of, of that particular um, arcade game. Yeah, um, well, the aesthetic of the show in general is terrific. Uh, very much like so much of it is just set in that bar the queen deck or similar places to it you do get a couple more creative ones when you see like that little ruins cottage that nona has or where the ball, ball, the, the real head up oculus plays like planet pool an interesting <laughs> thing to note that i've noticed outside of flashbacks we never actually go into the human world no we no, think we, we do for a bit in the finale but we'll mm. get to that um no, all yeah, and we, so I mean, they, we don't they really need to go into the human world because everything that's happening, you know, everything of importance mm-hmm. is, is happening where we where we are. Yeah. We don't need to see these people dying as they die because we know that we're eventually going to see that story kind of. Uh, well, we know it's building to what he's going to do with Chiuki. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I like off. about it is, is the fact that 
we don't learn their story until they do. So it's this oh, yeah. big real moment, and I think that's really effective. There's there are a bunch of episodes you. where uh, a lot of them Chiyuki doesn't know the full thing, but Deckham generally does because uh, mm-hmm. you find out because you you see Nona talking to like there's one girl in charge of like uh, transporting the souls. There's another in charge of manufacturing the memories and like basically Wi-Fi so transmitting them to Deckham's brain. Yeah. Um, and even smaller ones like that 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 elevator guy that bellhop he's so happy looking um you'd think from his design he's gonna be an evil prick because he has the the closed eyes and a big smile no he's pretty chill yeah um it's yeah, ginty he's, he's the jerk jobs just to go up and down up and down yeah he seems to have a good conscience like towards the end like take us to the bottom floor you sure about that but we'll get there so if you have a very limited amount of of environments like for the most part you could almost call this like a bottle show uh, then you better make it look killer. And they do. The lighting is very cool. And these characters, both their designs are good, and they do a really great job of making them express. Like, as the victim or the players get more and more upset, you can see their facial features kind of distort and shadow on them in ways they weren't before. It's really effective. Yeah. Like, they, they almost... Um, it's not that they transform into kind of like evil characters, but yeah. you do see almost like a physical manifestation of of their, uh, their even dark. not evil sometimes it's just rage mm. like the first episode where the you know the the wife admits to cheating on the husband and he just kind of snaps um, or, I'm still not sure that she was cheating on him I, that, I that, no, that's like, what the second episode is about Chiyuki yeah. sees her expression as like she might have just been trying to save him instead of her and I just love the fact that Dexum it, it, it gets to him enough where he asks no do you think I made the right choice and at first he just like touches his shoulder and smiles and he pulls him down and is like don't let that happen again so it's very possible that's what happened and I will just also say real quick because uh, I believe you watched the sub version right I did yeah yeah it's yeah. the only version that was available unfortunately but, I think uh, it's the only I'm version on Hulu over here I think Funimation is the only legal way to stream the English dub uh, yeah. but I, I I'm sure the Japanese version is fine. I will say, from what I've seen of a little bit of that, but I've mostly watched the dub, I will give the dub one cre- one prop over, in my opinion. I think Deckham's dub voice suits him a lot better because the Japanese one is kind of standard, deep voice, handsome guy. Um, mm-hmm. In the dub, like he is very quiet and almost deadpan. Like You can kind of sum up all, a lot of his really as, I'm sorry, I can't tell you that quite yet. Goreori. The stakes of the game are very high, your lives in fact. Until the game is completed, you cannot leave. No, this is not a hidden camera show. I'm sorry, but I cannot answer that question now. And it kind of suits the, this, his not-quite-human nature and personality. Because mm. it takes a long time, like, till the finale, till you really start to see him let it out. Um, and I will also real quick because it was Funimation who dubbed this and they reused a lot of voice actors uh, I couldn't help but notice uh, Trunk from DBZ as the husband in the first episode and the kid playing air hockey is Todd Haberkorn who if you watch Fairy Tale, he's the main guy in that and relevant to you guys he's Italy in Italia Pasta uh, <laughs> um and just real quick, I was really mad at myself for noting, noticing this, and I blame the internet. Chiyuki, she has a cool design. She has she has almost a goth look to her, even when she's in her normal clothes. She has very dark hair and kind of somber, half-threaded eyes. But I was looking at her color scheme, like she's dark purple, she's got shoulder-length hair, she's got one light streak, and my mind went, like Twilight Sparkle, and I went, oh, god damn it. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to rewatch that now. <laughs> <laughs> um... 
because, and I think I've said it on this show before, I've just been so inundated with brony culture on, on YouTube and the like that I, I'm, I feel like I know this character team though I've watched like three episodes of that show and it was not my thing. So mm-hmm. I'm just so angry that I simply went, yeah, it's like that MLPR. It's like, ah. Oh. And to be, and also to be fair, I don't hate you if you're a brony. I, um, I just, it's not for me. Uh, I think that's kind of your guys' general opinion on that show as well. Yeah, um, do you know, it's a, it's a weird thing about that is that um, I, I don't dislike that show at all. I dislike it. Something. It's just... Yeah, like it's not something I'm going to sit down and watch religiously or anything. But It feels I, I, squarely made for kids uh, from from my point of view. Yeah, like I, I think that they they've start they 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 did at one point lean into the idea of the whole brony culture. I think they've like, done some references about it. Yeah, yeah. And they, I but, think they've done uh, pop cultural reference from the beginning, though. Apparently, like, who has like much a, a kids yeah. show. There's like a big Lebowski reference or something crazy like that. Uh, Wait, you gotta throw them in there. Yeah, uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends did a big Lebowski reference. Do the base, <laughs> um, but some other stuff. Is, is there anything you want to bring up? Because I've been, I feel like I've been kind of dominating what the subjects are. I want to know if there's anything particular you want to about certain episodes or characters or aspects. I mean, there's definitely like there's the aspect of um, you know the episode where they have uh, a young kind of girl. I think she's like a, a schoolgirl and she's done up in makeup and like the boy something. idol and the boy idol. Yeah, and they keep uh, us two around a bit. Yeah, and they they keep them around for a couple of episodes with no, like almost no explanation as to why they've kept her around at all. I it's don't remember like, if they explain, but it has a very sad payoff either way. It certainly does. That's that was a properly heartbreaking moment. If you didn't hate Ginty by that point, you did then. But what I like about her character is the fact that she's given this choice, which again I think Chiyuki is given a similar kind of choice at the end of the show. And save yourself and in, 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 uh, in exchange for another yeah like so basically um, you can you can save the boy idol all you have to do is uh, press this button and this uh, person will die in his place and it is clearly here we the go the model of light from light Yagami. we got there eventually yeah, so I, I guess we can talk it. about that a bit. I think that was just meant to be an Easter egg because that guy's it's never named. He doesn't say anything, but you know, like. And the thing is, like, if if you go into uh, Death Note law and and what yeah, is are we going to spoil the ending uh, of Death Note? Yeah, um, we can. Let me just say, sure, give a spoiler warning. It's a ten-year-old anime. And yeah, a movie spoiler warning for Death Note. Skip ahead a minute or two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, they they make it very clear that when your name is written in the Death Note, that not only do you die, but you just go straight to the void. Um, I think they're fairly. I thought it was that you cease to exist if you're a user of the Death Note. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, if you're a user, maybe, maybe. But I know I know there's definitely reference to the void. So okay. the idea so that shared universe. Sorry. Shared universe, possibly. I mean, potentially, but the fact that he's sitting there in judgment, like, obviously they're going to judge him, otherwise they wouldn't be there. That yeah. kind it of does make you wonder how they judge mass murderers like him, but I guess they give everybody a fair shake. I guess. I guess. And But the weird thing is, if he hasn't got any memory, I mean, that would be an interesting one, because they play around with that enough on Death Note. Yeah, but uh, uh, to be fair, it's only the last couple hours, so I could buy that he's still pretty calm, because he does not know. He's, he probably doesn't know that, you know, he was exposed and all that went down. Yeah, 
So I, I thought it was just a nice little Easter egg, regardless of whether it yep. means that it, it's can, can, canonical or they're in the shared universe or anything like that. I'm I sure there are a lot of fans who would like to think that Light was maybe resurrected rather than ceasing to exist. Regardless of how evil he is, he's just so dreamy. <laughs> he he truly is a He lived to eat potato chips another day. <laughs> he loves his potato chips. And eat it was great. I, I really like that little Easter egg. And, yeah, um, and I'm sure it was done because, like I said, Madhouse, same studio that animated Death Note. For sure, for sure. But, you know, it definitely did exactly what it was that it was supposed to do, which is it made me sit up and take notice and hit that rewind button and have another look just to yeah, make actually, sure. Yeah, actually, quick thing, because I think you might be more familiar with Death Note than I am. I have watched the whole thing, but it's been a while. Do they ever, does, do Ryuko, do you guys ever touch on the existence of deities or the afterlife? Or do they not know? I I think outside of their own existence, I don't think they ever mention anything about it. Okay, so they... I, I'm sure there's a mention of God, but I think yeah. he just well, kind of... This show, there's a single to. mention of God. There's a little bit of world-building that you can make your own theories of, because like I said, Oculus, this older goatee dude, has mm. kind of been in charge of the, the, you know, the Quindecum bureaucracy for a long time, and he's often arguing with Nona about a lot of stuff, and at one point when she's walking away, she's like, don't I just ask God about this? And he said something like, God's been gone for a long time. So you're like, has God not, is God not caring about this story anymore? Did God die? Like, that line confirms that God exists in this universe, but it, it leaves his role and even fate up to interpretation, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Like, to be I, fair, I like God that. is not relevant to what's going on. Not at all. Not at all. I, I like the idea that even the most senior member of, of this organization is himself just a dummy. The yeah, the, the arbiters yeah. are dummies too. I think they make. I'm assuming they make them those bodies, and you see both Deckham and Shuki's birth, quote unquote, where they wake up on a flower bed with no one. They're like, "Who am I?" And she just starts giving them the lowdown. Um, and I will say, I checked the death, death, uh, death parade fan wiki today. I can't verify this because I don't remember if it's mentioned this show. Apparently, even though the arbiters are not, you know, full on human souls themselves, they are partially made with like recycled elements of souls from the void. So in a way, they are a reincarnation, but not as direct as their judgment once. Yeah, I, I think in either the 11th or 12th episode, they might make reference to that directly, yeah. saying I, that they are like a, a conglomerate of all of the souls that they've sent. Yeah. Okay, I do want to touch on um, some other particular judgments. Uh, there are, I noticed two opportunities where you think, there, well, there is a judgment that, that isn't what the episode ends up being about. One I thought was really cool, and one kind of disappointed me. I love the setup for, I think it's episode five, which is middle-aged asshole and this kid. And yeah. the kid isn't saying much, and the guy starts acting really weird because he says he recognizes Deckham in this bar. He isn't getting specific, but so I'm watching it like, does he remember? I mean, I, is this, can we assume he's been judged before? But how do you remember this? And even Deckham and Chuki are not sure how to react other than when he like tries to kill Tasha, Deckham strings him up. And while I'm trying to figure out what's going to go to this direction, the guy faints, and the kid turns out to be Ginty in disguise. The the grown man was a dummy by Nona as a test. I can't remember if like Ginty snuck his way in. I know they have a pretty cool fight, and Nona is not happy about that. Um, I think uh, Nona set it all up to test Deckham. Like yeah, every now and, and I think she wasn't happy about it either. Um, but she also no, wasn't happy no. that Ginty got aggressive. I think they do kind of have a rivalry of some sorts, I at do, least from Ginty's point of view. It's undercover boss is essentially what this is. <laughs> And the kid starts saying, you know, I heard Kylo Ren. He's a pretty good overlord. Am I right? <laughs> but the other one, it's not the main topic, but it's, it's the one other judgment that's very pleasant. And it's one, the old lady storybook author, remember that? 
Yeah, I love that one. That, I think that, that might be my favorite way somebody realizes they're dead. Because they yeah. just do a card game with Deckham, uh, Chiuki, and her. And I don't remember what the circumstances are that they make them decide to just do her. But I love the fact that she's, she's a total sweetheart for one. Um, mm. Very calm. Mm. Like, you can tell she's a little nervous. She's like, all right, let's just do this. I'll, I'll trust you. And the way she realizes, because she's like, oh, you made all the card illustrations of my characters. Then she sees one. Is like, I had thought about this one i hadn't quite made drawn it yet you're drawn from yeah. mine this is the afterlife isn't it and when she realized that she's like well i had a good long test my life it's, it's okay and she's <laughs> like god, god damn it <laughs> but she's not even that upset she's like and I, I, I was old it was inevitable but i had a good life i don't really have regrets it's i'm not upset and naturally that gets her a resurrection she's like the biggest sweet pure sweetheart of all the 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 players um, and it's kind of a neat thing to help her. She, I think she says some stuff that helps steer Chiyuki into and Deckham into their later trial because that's what the finale plays upon. It, there um, definitely needed to be a character like another that. Because the first time I watched the show, I didn't get the... Because they keep touching on, as you're gradually remembering a little more about Chiyuki or she's starting to learn more about herself, the main recurring thing is this storybook called Chavo. Um, and you can see like Nona reading it at points. I totally missed the allegory the first time. Did you get what it was when you watched it? I no, I, I didn't at all. No, okay, I, I, I googled. It. I googled it. I should have should have guessed it, but basically, so the story is that there's a kid, a boy who befriends a little girl named named Chava who's deaf, um, and they're able to get along even though she can't hear him. But basically, the point is, Chavo the kid was able to understand a person not through their their words but their emotions and so it's kind of a metaphor I, i'm trying to figure out how exactly it matches up but it's kind of about uh you know chuki's point of maybe you should have some emotional investment and attachment to the people you're judging yeah. might be a little more accurate that way because i i okay i want to talk about do you want to talk about that air hockey two-parter i think we have to don't that, we really that was a ride um and second the end of that was the second time i cried at this show uh, oh, also, real quick mention. I should have. I really should have mentioned when I was talking to the voice actors. The nerd in the fourth episode in the dub, Space Dandy. Damn! What? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, his name's Ian Sinclair, and you can kind of tell he's just not being pompous. He's got that deep voice, but you know he doesn't have to be a blowhard. So props to him. Uh, so this ninth episode, this is the only two-parter they get. I think they just saw how much stuff was going on here, and they're like, we we can't rush this. Um, I feel this also represents a big turning point for Chiyuki's argument and Deckham as well. So these two arrive. It's a middle-aged police detective and a teenage boy. And Deckham tells Chiyuki one of these guys is a murderer. But uh, I don't think he tells her the whole detail. And obviously we, we don't know when it starts which is which. So I'm like, this go guy looks grizzled. He's in police. Could he have killed someone? But this boy, he's innocent. It seems like could it be a ploy? And they're playing air hockey, and things are going pretty well between them for that first half. Like, yeah, the detective's more cynical and bitter You find because you find out his wife was killed. But he's giving the boy advice. They seem to be getting along pretty well. Uh, then the memories start returning, and I don't think I could have seen where this, this direction coming. Uh, yeah. At least not the whole of it. They're both killers, and they're both connected. Uh, long story short, this teen, I think the idea is he and his sister lost their parents at a young age, so he was working his ass off for her. And at one point, her boyfriend beat the shit out of her and maybe raped her, uh, left her hospitalized, and he just got filled with rage. And so she told him that were, who the guy was and also that there was a second party. There was some other guy just standing there watching. And I guess he doesn't think about that, but he goes, 
doesn't really think much about it, goes to that one, to the guy's, to the, you know, the thug's house with a knife, uh, ends up killing the thug almost immediately, but is fatally wounded. And, but this is where the detective comes in the story, because you find out this guy is way more twisted and sick than you might have initially thought. He, when his wife died, he ended up seeking out and killing the murderer independently, and you get the sense he is not all there, because he's like, I heard my wife talking to me, which does not seem to be a rule in this world. And he developed this horrible code, like, yeah, I kept tabs. I kept tabs on a bunch of punks and criminals like that, but I would never go after them until the action was fully committed. And so that boils the blood of this kid who's like, you could have saved her. And I'm like, it wasn't finished yet. It's, that's, that's my code. And he's just justifying by saying, like, the role's twisted. I adapted to his twistedness. And so as it turns out, he went to visit the thug, found the corpse. The brother was in the bathroom puking and thought it was an accomplice, which I guess he kind of was, and killed him before bleeding out himself. Uh, and that and yet that's not the darkest part. The way this episode ended, where you kind of think things are done, and then Deckham is like, I can't be sure just yet. So the gimmick for that game is every puck that went in, like if they scored, one, of, you know, it was like the darts. That one of the uh, opponent's organs would feel great pain, they bleed and stuff. And so Deckham tempts the boy, like, well, true, you can't kill him again, uh, but now you know what you know. And so he basically like, stacks all of the detectives' uh pucks and give them a huge knife the boy and it's like you can get your revenge and that's when Chucky has to step forward and like this is bs man like almost we i we've seen how pure this boy was and any anybody we could could very easily take that horrible action and yeah. meanwhile the detectives pers- like persuading the boy like he's okay with you on the pain he wants the boy to become as horrible as he did and just that end throws you for a loop where Chuki stops him and explains the truth of, you know, it's not having hell, it's, re- it's resurrection of the void. And But think about it. If you're reincarnated, maybe you could be reunited with your sister in some form. And she almost, <laughs> she almost does it. Like, he's calming down, and then the detective gives one more horrible speech. And we haven't brought up the amazing closing theme as well. Mm. If the opening was a, was a fake-out, the closing theme is a perfect fit for what watching this show feels like. This mm. kind of very emotional and sad hard rock and this is the one time they fully integrate it where I just love the fact that also worth noting that when she starts yelling at Deckham I think like she caps off her speech that this isn't real judgment and you see for the first time he's he's being affected by this in some way he grabs his heart he's stammering no I, this is my purpose I'm supposed to do it right and so this is your first sense of there's something more to Deckham than what we thought and that last moment where that detective the music goes quiet he's just screaming you know the only thing you can really do with the evil this world is fight back against it the world's a cruel screwed up place and we have to accept it you can't change that nobody can the only thing you can do is fight back slow-mo of the sh- of the pucks being shattered music just cuts in and this montage the boy screaming the detective smiling as he's bleeding Chuki grabbing her and screaming no sound i yeah i was crying like yeah. there was hope a for a really, happy ending for this kid to some degree and that bastard just ruined it I mean I, I'm i not sure if he could have had a, a good ending just for the fact that he's he killed someone and I know I know the argument is going to be yeah but that person like yeah. deserved it the but, arbiters don't yeah. really judge based on their lives they're going to put them in a specific situation to test their morals which is bullshit because if you can't <laughs> judge someone from the what they did in their lives then yeah maybe Chucky should have brought that up too and that's yeah, part of the getting it, having it be attached to them it is a heavily flawed system and I like the fact that they 
essentially kind of um, they they do call it out really call it out yeah but yeah there was a nice balance what i liked about this episode was the fact that it's very easy when you're watching a show like this and when you've watched enough uh, fiction over the, the years that you know that oftentimes it's it's their intention to throw you for a loop so the one that looks innocent is often the guilty one and the one that's guilty is often the innocent yeah. one so that's what i assumed um, was going to be that the boy was the killer and it's like no maybe they should be yeah. more specific they both are that's that's why i like the idea that actually they were both killers and that the and police each indirectly contributed uh, to the other's death yeah well, i guess like the, the director was indirectly the boy straight up but it was because of the detective's actions that he went there and got killed by him absolutely and it, and it feeds into what Deckham says at the very beginning of the episode which is oh we don't get these often <laughs> yeah I think even Deckham is like this is interesting yeah like there's something weird going on with these two they, there must be something that connects and there was them. and there was there absolutely was but I just like the fact that they really kind of thought about what people would be expecting and then subverted that expectation in the way that they did and even almost made you think it could end okay, and then no, like, and then whip it away from you at the last second. Yeah. Oh, and, and the best right, use right. of of that music, I gotta say. A lot of anime have this really interesting dichotomy between the opening and closing music, where the opening will be like really kind of like hard and fast and brutal, and then the ending music will be really gentle and, and pleasing. Nope. Or it will be the opposite. It will be like a DDR game, and then the end titles will be like this, where it's like properly like dramatic and emotional. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love that. I about... did note they swap. We'll talk about the finale, but they swap mm. the border for the credits. Do you notice that? I didn't. <laughs> and did you watch? <laughs> okay, we'll, get, we'll, I'll, we'll just say really quick. In the last couple of actual scenes, you hear quietly the closing song in the background, like it's on a radio. And then once the actual credits start, they play the the opening theme over like traditional white text credit because it's kind of it's a happier ending than I was expecting. I'll admit. Yeah, I honestly did not notice that, but I think that's maybe just because I just finished this story. You were crouching in the story because it leaves you with a lot. It, it has an impact. Yeah, and I'll be honest, like that last episode, um, I. I I went to watch. You'll you, you'll understand this when we when mm-hmm. I, I get to my point. I watched Sicario two the other day, and I really enjoyed the film, but it left me really unsatisfied with the way it ended, because it felt like it had set up all of these things to happen, and then it just left them dangling there. Oh, and, I know what you're getting at. Yeah, and and I feel like this show does the same thing to an extent i don't think it does it to quite such an egregious level it's central plot about shuki is wrapped up but a lot of stuff about arbiters is left open absolutely and it makes you think okay so is there going to be a second series of this because i really want to explore this deeper my guess is they looked at their budget and didn't want to cram make the finale feel overstuffed and rushed so they're like Mm -hmm. Let's end what is central and important that the main thing we've been building up to, and if we get renewed, great. Though, granted, it doesn't sound like they're going to get renewed. Hmm. Um, That's a show. Yeah, this was a one. This is a. I think I hope we were making it clear that we both really. Uh, I should have loved this show. I might have had more stronger emotional reaction to it from the sound of things, uh, even then only certain episodes. Uh, and I think that the fifth episode with the fake out and the Ginty stuff, that's probably my least favorite, actually. Because um, mm. it just because it's still a lot more exposition about that world and I thought that the reveal of what was actually going on there was a bit just underwhelming it doesn't have that same intensity and emotional investment 
Still some good yeah. stuff, though. Uh, I, I think as far as like emotional investment and stuff is concerned, I, I wouldn't worry too much about whether maybe you um, invest too much or, or anything like that. I, what I would say is that although it's been known for me to roll a tear on a few films like Toy Story 3 and things like that, mm-hmm. for the most part, I, I can be a, a very kind of like disconnected uh, and <laughs> unemotional viewer of content. So um, I'll admit it's easy to get me to. I've got a trailers. <laughs> oh man, you you want to talk about that? I'll what? tell you about the live action uh, Winnie the Pooh trailer, and about oh. how every single time I've watched that, Throbbing. I have got a lump in my throat and a tear in my eye, yeah. and I've got no idea why because I have never had any kind of emotional connection to Winnie the Pooh. It's oh, well, that's weird. That is weird. I thought you were going to say, huh? Yeah, yeah I thought you were going to no, say you grew up with them because I did. The be- the best that I can come up with is that it's this idea of long lost friends reconnecting and saving each other because basically that entire trailer is a case of Christopher Robin saves the animals of, of the wood do you know I'm realizing then, that it's like hmm? it's like Hook but if Captain Hook came to the human world and was a good guy yeah, that, that too it was, a, it was the lost boys I guess and he was a fat mean. little bear <laughs> I love the yeah, keeping no, Jim Cummings absolutely. too Absolutely, it does. It has that idea of the central character who has lost who he really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like that entire trailer is just a case of um, he rediscovers his childhood for one last time and helps yeah. out. I'm still, I'm still a little cautious about the quality because I do feel like the trailer could do a lot of cliches about. Cause I feel like Family Film is doing though. You work too much. Support your family. That's kind of overdone. At the same time, do you know who the director is? Um, isn't it? Is it Chris Columbus? No, I don't remember his name, but he did Finding Neverland. I feel like that's a similar theme movie that's fantastic, so this uh, could okay. work. Do you know, I never watched Finding Neverland, and maybe uh, I should. That's actually another Peter Pan movie with Dustin Hoffman in it. It was just playing some guy. <laughs> I highly recommend that movie, by the way. Um, Starring Dustin Hoffman as some guy. He's like J.M. Barry's stage assistant or something. And I, I mean, I'll just remember, like, if there was any movie trailer that got me tearing up with knowing nothing about the story uh where the wild things are maybe has my favorite trailer of all time do you know that never really connected with me but i think it's because the movie or the trailer um both and i i think maybe it's just because where the wild things are it's it's a very very good movie yeah uh, I never had any kind of investment to it from being it, a kid because it wasn't the story that really got much play over here. Yeah. So. Oh, I never, I didn't read the book much, um, and I thought no. the movie was really good, but I would still take the trailer in terms of the experience. And granted, I did cry at the end of the movie, so there you go. But I think we've gotten a little off course. We're talking so it's much not about a podcast mo- with me without going off course a little. Oh man, when it's just you and Tyler, like last week, I tuned oh. in to listen to you guys talking about reboot, and you talked about Italia. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still concerned for your safety because I reboot has a following that original, and they're so anti the Netflix reboot. I'm worried they're gonna like track you down or something. Bring it. <laughs> hey, your opinion is your opinion. I respect it, and I actually haven't watched Netflix once. For all I know, I could like it, but yeah. it, it's actually I, I think it's just by comparison. Yeah, uh, the, the original was, was so terrible for you. Yeah, I was reading the Discord chat earlier. I logged in for the first time in a long time. And, um, yeah, a lot of people were saying that, it, that it's actually not very good. And while I agree, I think it is by far and away a lot better than the original. 
Yeah. And I think even if people like it, like in my case, it just wasn't what you wanted when you thought more reboot. It's kind of like how people want more Teen Titans and they got Teen Titans Go instead. It's like it's a different it's, incarnation. It's a different proposition. It has yeah. some of the same characters, but it's a very different take. Yeah, but it's mostly about other other ones and live action stuff. But anyway, we've been talking so much about emotional stuff. Maybe it's now the time to talk about the finale. Yeah, go on then. So <laughs> it's actually a two-parter, and I think the first part has one of the more serene and just legitimately beautiful parts with because Yuki starts to recover her memory and it's damn depressing she was uh, one of the other thing connected to Chapo was because it involves ice skating that inspired her as a kid to try and do figure skating and as she grew into a young woman she became like a really promising up and comer mm-hmm. in it uh, unfortunately something that also happens to real skaters and athletes happened she fractured or broke her leg and the injury left her unable to do it professionally for the rest of her life she fell into yeah. a deep depression, like questioned her self-worth, shut herself off, and eventually slit her wrists. And, yeah. Dark, very dark, but it's one of those stories that really it's kind of important that they get told. Um, yeah, I understood it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to say, I mean, you mentioned, yeah, I think my listeners know that I, I suffer from depression, and I won't get too personal, like, I've certainly never you know, attempted that sort of self-harm. But if you're depressed for a lot of your life, the thought does come up sometimes, and it sucks. And a big part of that is depressed people will often question their self-worth. And in her case, it was literally spending her whole life with passion for one thing and having it taken away from her and feeling like, what else do I have left? She says to her mom, like, I'm not a complete woman. I'm not a full person. I devoted all my life to this, and now it's gone. And that just kind of fucks her up, which is sad because I think we get proof through the rest of the show she's got a strong head on her shoulders regardless of skating she does but um, there was one thing that slightly kind of this wasn't bothered is the wrong word but what I'm meaning to say is uh, you you know this moment in the um, I think it's in the finale where he uh, where Dekim takes her to um, her Her house yeah Yeah. we'll talk about that but what's the one particular thing well, it, it's the fact that he says, right, well, if, if you press this button, then you get to go home. We'll, we'll delete all of the memories of you dying. Yeah. And you just go back to being alive, which is great, except for the fact that it doesn't treat the underlying cause of why she killed herself in the first place. And so I was very worried that if that happened, that you, she'd just be back to square one where she'd be unhappy she wouldn't have any of this experience of being you are right about that they wipe your memories but it would still be a second chance which is better than nothing it would be a second chance but unfortunately it's such a thing that without treatment and she was never she never sought out treatment she never spoke to her mum about it she shut herself away yeah shut herself away that she's kind of doomed to just repeat her mistake and then you just get this vicious cycle going. And I guess the good thing she rejected it then. And actually, that. I will give the show credit that her actions and consequences are part of her motivation. Oh, yeah. The fact that she's so close to doing it, but then... Um, okay, let's, 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 okay, let's talk about this last judgment because yeah. this is where this show deeply, deeply got to me. So you're, you're not being filled in on the full picture of it any more than Shuki is, really. Because... I love the fact that after the ice Oh, another quick thing. So, you know, they make it seem that really creepy that Deckham stalks all these dummies. Even Chiyuki is like, that is weird. And then you get the real truth because in keeping with the note, don't get attached to your 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 players, uh, every time that they finish, 
uh, a judgment, eventually the memories of those players are wiped from an arbiter's memory. So mm. Deckham keeps the dummy bodies, in certain cases keeps the clothes and hair they did for them, and it's his way of somehow, remember, in some ways, remembering and paying tribute to them, which that's a really clever way to humanize this guy considering the rules in this world. Hmm. Yeah. No, it was a little bit creepy, though, having all those dolls lying around. It was less creepy when you learned the truth for me. Originally, it was like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Uh, yeah. But so we get, when Shuki remembers this, she, actually, I was watching in an early episode, she's in her wardrobe of, because it's a cartoon, identical, you know, bartender outfits. But then there's one fancy dress, and she's like, what, what the hell, is that always there? And towards the end, when she remembers, so that's a recreation of her main figure skating outfit. And Deckham, you know, modifies the environment, has a doll, I mean, play piano, and she does this beautifully animated, silent figure skating routine to a piano thing. And it's mellow and it's slow. But it's very sweet and genuine, considering what we've known about this ki- these two characters. Yeah, I, I thought that this was a really beautiful moment in this show, and definitely one of the best animated parts outside yeah. of the explosion whenever a game would turn up. Did you notice just, just how beautiful those explosions oh, were? Oh, awesome, awesome. <laughs> I'm guessing just, there was some CG used, because you get some shots of, of that for the backgrounds, but they blend it beautifully. It wouldn't surprise me, but it was just this feeling of unbridled energy being released. Yeah, it's because it's a lot more over the top than Mm. almost all the shows, so it sticks out more because the show's typically more reserved, at least uh, effects-wise. They do, like, smoke and stuff, too. Uh, I love it. Um, And you notice that the the players are off, and that's the point, one of the points where they always go, what the hell? (laughs) Oh, yeah, like um, Octomom, whatever her name was. Yeah. Uh, when she says, wow, they must really have a big budget. Yeah, because you're still under the apprehension. Yeah, this is uh, showing this guy's. I would have liked a couple more of characters having a false idea, because I think most of them assume he's a serial killer or something. Like like I was saying, if you watch just the first half of this episode, you'd be like, is this the anime equivalent of Saul? I'm like, no, keep watching. Um, so the finale, uh, after that beautiful routine, I think Dickman's commenting like he's getting ready. I don't know if he tells her, but he's, he, I think he's finally come up now that he knows her story and her ideals. He knows the right judgment for her. So he gives her this drink called the Memento Mori, which has to do with memories. Uh, turns out he spiked it, and she faints. But thankfully, Deckham is not the ghost of Bill Cosby. Um, he has much purer intentions, really. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Um, and Bill Cosby's technically still alive. That, yeah. But have you, have you heard that he's blind? Really? Yep. He's blind. I think his wife left him. So now he's just a bitter, blind old man, alone and hated by the world. Um. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay by me. Uh, (laughs) But so what happens is he takes Yuki's, and it's worth mentioning. um, She's seeing when she does the ice skating figure skating thing. She does the same mistake that broke her leg, and instead you see like the skin covering like flake off. Um, I think it happens on some of her arm too. So you see she's still you know physically a dummy, and that body is starting to disintegrate and fade a bit. So it's about time for her to to wrap things up with Deckham. So he goes, he takes her body and goes to the, also that's a shot they use in the theme where he's lowering her body down on the strings. It's a cool visual and it's nice when they finally give it some context. And so that second last episode ends with him telling the, the bellhop, go to the bottom floor. And the bellhop, that's what I said, the bellhop's surprised, like, you sure? Yes. And you see what you do, you're, you're assuming this transports us to the earth. Because Chuki wakes up in her bed, in her house. And at first she is thinking it was a dream, then she sees the flakes and like, no. And Deckham comes in and he's explained I've gone behind the rules and pulled some strings. Uh, though they are essentially like ghosts in this world. Um, cause she sees her mom come in. They can't see her, or I guess touch her. 
this is where things start to get crazy sad because the mom has a little you know memorial shrine in the corner that she prays to and then she, you hear the mom start talking and she blames herself for Chiyuki's suicide like I should have paid more attention what kind of mother am I that's what starts to break Chiyuki she wants to go in and tell her she's sorry and that's when Degan lays out the rules like you were saying he gives her this little switch it's actually the same kind that he used to rig the arcade game I think but in this case he's yeah. like alright so I've set it up like you were saying yeah if you will swap your will change your souls if you if you do this, a random person will die and you'll get that second chance. And I love the fact that there's some, some debate where she talks about, like, what if it's someone I know? And he goes, okay, keep in mind there are 7 billion people and growing, uh, so the percentage is very, very, very minuscule. And he also talks about, like, some people live in, in paradise and happiness, some people live in squalor. You could be, I think he says something, you could be, it could be a mercy kill or something for certain people. And she thinks about it hard and she's like, gotta apologize to my mom. And, like, I love the fact she is you see her start to partially press down on it and like right before she goes all the way we get a fantastic montage of a lot of the emotional moments from the i love when shows and movies do that like show the really impactful moments like that but that was what i was uh, going to say slightly earlier was the some of millionaire always makes me cry when they do that in the final scene for example oh that's a great um, film i love slumdog totally crying there and i think that's when Yuki. A lot of because she's remembering, she's remembering. It doesn't have to do with the you know the morals or stuff that, that she, they've been shaming this whole time. It's how many of these people wanted to see their loved ones again, or you know, mend things with someone. And that's when it hits her. It's like it doesn't matter if I take a stranger's life, and it doesn't matter what a person is. There are always going to be other people that person matters to, mm. and I'm no better than a killer if I do that. And mm. that's already sad enough. And then she just looks. That this is the part that got to me where she just was talking to the mom even though she, she couldn't hear him and she's just breaking down and sobbing like banging her head against the window and realizing what a mistake she made like I didn't give you the proper chance to say goodbye this shouldn't have been your reward for loving me so much this was selfish of me and, and at the same time the, probably the most beautiful orchestral s- segment is playing I'll put it in the final episode um, and you see Deckham again we're starting to get this thing he's like clutching his heart he's breathing heavily something is happening and yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I remember when I first watched the show. Not only was I tearing up, I was just my body was shaking. Like this, this got to me. And I, I'm guessing, yeah, you didn't cry, but hopefully, we'll argue this is uh, the emotional. Like it was building to this. Mm. Yeah, like he, he almost with his eyes changing, he almost becomes human. That oh, um, that's the that's the point. We'll get to that. I'm just talking about like Yuki's final decision. Yeah. And actually, one is little interesting detail right before things end. She snaps again and gets deck. I'm like, you press it. I'm not. I, I can't do it. You do it. Which is, I'm like, would that disqualify her? Um, but I think he's he's made his call by that point, regardless of that. And we get this great reveal. The world starts giant cracks start showing up, like it's glass. Everything goes quiet. And yeah, you do a close up because the thing to note about the arbors, they all have odd eye patterns, like four little blotches in the corners, like a cross. Yeah, yeah. And you see it swirl into a normal eye. And Declanus is genuine. I'm very sorry. And then he does this fantastic scream. That's another thing I think is better than a dub. I am terribly sorry. <laughs> like that. That's so I I mentioned on a YouTube video once that something I love. I don't know if there's a name for it. Is where you have a character who has been very reserved and steadfast throughout a whole adventure or journey, regardless of what's been thrown at him. And when they finally emotionally let loose like this, it's made all the more powerful. And that is exactly what happens to Deckham. And there's that great scream. The world collapses. You see that this was an illusion he did with glass and dummies. And it took a lot of strength and effort. And it broke because he started to feel 
I love the fact he kneels down and he's just apologizing his ass off to put her in something so heartbreaking and, and emotionally tormenting. But he's saying, I was doing my job. And I love the fact that he says, this feeling, it's sorrow, isn't it? Hmm. He's experiencing a full-on human emotion for the first time and having to ask off his, you know, all of his observations over the years. And then it gets better, you know, even more symbolic because, you know, she's, he's still apologizing just over and over. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. She walks over and like, hugs him and says don't apologize but you notice before that she uncovers his other eye yeah the whole show he's at that emo one eye covered and this is another symbolic way of showing that he's kind of evolving he's becoming a fully fledged human essentially and then they just sob for a while together and that, that got me pretty bad too he's in that beautiful they're just recurring like violin there's a lot of string music in this and you see like the glitter of the glass climbing down it's just a beautiful haunting it it's it it left an impact on me. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a very emotionally Im- impactful scene. Um, what I was going to say before was that uh, I, I like the idea that when she's making trying to make the decision of whether to press the button or not, and uh, as you said, like her finger is three quarters of the way down on that button, and you know it it can't take much more to click it, and then you you get that flashback of all of the previous people that she's met during this series and it becomes very clear that the entirety of, of this series, everything that she's experienced is what has taught her this lesson and, it, and it's essentially that is the thing that saves her from herself. Yeah, the value uh, in individual life regardless of whether you absolutely. know Absolutely, but it's, it's something that isn't born from any previous memory that she had, it's all new memories that she's made while she's been in this world. Uh, it's a it's a really powerful idea, and also it really kind of brings the entire series, all, all twelve episodes. It it just brings them all together into this fantastic little package, where suddenly everything is vital, everything is important, and it all makes sense. To, yeah, and it's also to, what shifts the change in Deckham. Um, yeah, I also want to talk about there is a reveal about Chiyuki's weird history with of coming in and Nona. So. Because she's been having these arguments with uh, Oculus a bit. And so we've been under the impression at this point she's kind of an ice-cold queen who doesn't really give a shit about the emotion stuff and the, you know, getting attached. And so I guess the idea is she was always built, you know, incapable of full emotions. So even if she's been curious about them, she can't feel them. So when she manufactured uh, uh, Deckham, she went behind Oculus's back and gave him hidden capacity to eventually feel emotions. Because he wants she wants to prove the point that that could lead to more accurate and efficient judgment when Oculus was still stuck in the old ways. And like you were talking about, the series ends, it's not quite clear one way or the other what Oculus's ultimate decision is going to be, but I like to think she might have swayed him a little bit, even if just for Deckham. Uh, her last line is even like, because she, she's, ta- she's having a drink with those other behind-the-scenes girls, and they're like, so what's your next step of the plan? She's like, honestly, let's just let this play out, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll judge from there. Yeah, I feel like if Oculus was of a mind too he could end it all in in a, in a he almost did uh he that, did. He did that almost. flower goatee tentacle thing design, i get a sense he was trying it. to kill her and thankfully she is pretty agile yeah and also like he managed to do it on the bellboy before and it felt very intrusive like we were talking about urasuki doji earlier <laughs> legendary overfiend and to an extent like th- this is as invasive and pervasive as any tentacle Based yeah, anime. he's not the nicest deity. No, if that's even what he is. I think he, he might be. He might have been God's right hand man. 
or something. Um, oh, it's entirely possible. Like that, there's so much fiction out there that focuses on this idea of the angels not being whiter than white. You know, they're not. Oh, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. I think just the one thing that's made very clear is that he is as high up on the bureaucracy as the characters that we see go. He's mm. the boss's boss, basically. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, when when I think about it now, the whole idea of maybe all of these characters being analogs for angels is quite a fitting one when you think about a lot of the different versions of angels that you've seen in modern media um, you think about like dogma uh, the scene where um, the the archangel reveals that he is as smooth as a ken doll yep, yep. it wouldn't surprise me if the uh, arbiters are that way yeah yeah it wouldn't surprise me what would they use them for um, but also, you know, if you go to uh, the Christopher Walken series of movies, uh, The Prophecy, uh, there's this idea that uh, fantastic movies, but very strange. There's I'm this idea that, um, that God favored man over over the angels who were his first uh, kind of design. Oh. And even though they weren't emotionless, they certainly didn't have the same range of emotions and free choice. That he and did the angels them. resent that? And they did resent that, absolutely. Makes it sense. caused the war in heaven. and you know, Real quick aside, fight. that's actually one of the main conflicts in Detroit from the beginning because there's, a, there's mm-hmm. a lot of anti-Android protests because they take, they've taken a lot of jobs. Which is a very real problem in today's society. We might not have Androids, but you think of all of the grocery stores, certainly in the UK, that have these self-checkout uh, tills yeah yeah take the you know it, just in one of the local ones uh, of mine it's not even a supermarket it's just a little kind of like corner store yeah the more yeah. that we're able to have technology automate certain tasks the more a lot of uh man done industries will have to change or die out they're going to have to it's happening in mine you know I'm, i don't know how much longer i'm going to be in the job uh, mm-hmm. But it's just one of those things. You adapt and you change and you find something else. But, you know, yeah. there, there are eight cashier points at that shop, uh, whereas before they would have employed at least three or four people on the checkout. So they've essentially... And they haven't necessarily got rid of those people. They've just moved them yeah, into... No, no, my stores have those too. Yeah. But there's still it's, a lot of the... Uh, I do feel like the, the man-run uh, registers get a lot more play than the automated ones. Because so, I don't know, maybe just my area, not, they won't tell you that there's an unregistered item in the baggage area. Oh or, gosh! Or Please wait for a coworker. Please wait for employee. Yeah. Oh, just, controlled substance in the bagging area. Please wait while we get a member of staff to check this out. And you have to but, move your bag to put another one there. And it's like, please wait. Uh, but it's just, yes. You got ways to go. Pain in the ass. Okay, but angels. <laughs> yeah, angels. <laughs> Tangents. Dave Roberts. That's your trademark. So yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I'm. I, I think I'm pretty much kind of done on that thought um yeah angels, and yeah, we're, I, we're at the tail end of this discussion anyway yeah. um yeah. i will say there is one more less heartbreaking more sweet scene uh his farewell to chiyuki you know what i'm talking about oh, yeah. mm, um yep. it actually gives us one last joke where because you know he's learned to mow more and she's talking about presenting him as better you might want to try smiling a little bit and his first attempt is ridiculous reminded me of one of those terminator movies uh, it, it looks like how you would draw uh, like a anime cat like a garfield mouth looks really <laughs> yeah. goofy i love the fact that she's like work on it. he's still steadfast voice smiling i'm very sorry but i love the fact that so you know she, she does get the reincarnation and as the elevator door is closing and she looks up in time he gets a little montage of their other time together and does a genuine smile which gets her to tear up and super mm. sweet and the last shot of the show as kind of a proof of the impact chiuki has left and even minimal things this other random couple comes in Deckham says his hello, he smiles, pan over, there's a Chiyuki dummy sitting next to the bar. 
Yeah. Yeah. So he probably um, he probably has forgotten her, but he, I think hopefully he'll realize like I put that one close by for a reason. That one made a difference. I mean, what I like about it is the fact that it leaves that open. He may not have forgotten her yet because of the fact that he no, has. The- I don't think they say. I think they say it's not instantaneous, but it'll it's inevitable. He, but he's been designed differently to the others, so yeah. there's nothing to say that he might not remember her. I'm, what I yeah. do like is the I fact kind of view that- his brain like a hard drive. They like I said, they sent the memories yeah. via streaming. Yeah, it's Spiritual possible. Streaming. Um. I just hope that he keeps up his payment plan. Uh, he's got... Um, I think it's a government job, so... <laughs> He'll be fine. Yes, he will. Um, the, the doll is holding the two Chavo dolls um, in its hands, which is a direct relationship with the... Yeah. Uh, is it the opening or closing? Um, the cinematic? opening ends with that. But the opening ends with her, like, not a doll of her, but her actually. Yeah, yeah. So and to be fair... Nice, a lot of anime it. themes, scenes in those don't happen in the real show, but maybe that was setting you up to realize what it was really going to be. Mm, yeah, but I just think it's a lovely little reference. Yeah, and it makes me think maybe sometimes he'll read that book and maybe get an idea of what an impact this woman made, even if he can't remember the specifics. It's yeah, He's nice. a sweet guy for all his yeah. emo, emotionlessness. Actually, he, who am I kidding? I'm sure that approach right gets place. a lot of fangirls. <laughs> I'm sure people love Ginty too because right. they love the bad boys. It's the Loki effect. Everybody loves a bad boy. What can you say? When I showed my grandma Avengers and Loki she, and uh, Thor, she really hated Loki. And uh, when I told I her about the Legion of Fan, she was like, really? Why do people hate Loki? Uh, he is a mass murderer, to be fair. But he had a cool <laughs> arc. I got like, some more as things went on. He loved his brother, though. In the end, yeah, he did. Um, <laughs> actually, just a real quick tangent. I think I mentioned Philippe did this. Did you ever watch any of the videos I did with my grandma? Like of her watching Marvel or Star Wars? I didn't know. Oh, no, I'll, I'll I've seen DM a few of them. You and Discord when we're done. Uh, basically, she has never she had never seen a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie, so I showed her the original trilogy and recorded like. First, it was just her reacting to "I'm Your Father" because she somehow didn't know that. And since then, wow. it's been like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I asked her like, "How have you not?" And she was like, "When those came out, I was raising kids. That family was my number one focus, not movies." And I bet she heard the line but forgot about it or didn't know who said it. Uh, okay. Um, so lately, after that's been like super cuts of other movies. I think it's been super cuts of Jedi, Ant Man, the first Thor, and Avengers. Uh, and we just recorded another one last week. I tried something different because I'm keeping tabs on Smash Brothers Ultimate. And maybe has never touched a video game in her life other than me getting her to play Wii Sports Tennis because she's played tennis. <laughs> Everybody uh, played it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, one of my best memories of when the Wii came out is of my aunt and uncles. My aunts and uncles all crowded on the TV playing boxing and just howling. Yeah, that was fun, yeah. and it was a great game for that. Yeah, but uh, long story short, I'd seen some people on on YouTube do things where they show you know family members who don't play games the Smash Brothers characters. And you're like, what are their names? What would you call them? Uh, and I did that, and laughs galore. I'll say that much. Like when you when she saw Ganondorf and was like, ooh, Satan. <laughs> or speaking of angels, she saw Pit and was like, ah, oh, Saint Gabriel. <laughs> uh, and honestly, I didn't say anything to her, but there were so many male characters where her first line was, ooh, he's cute. <laughs> it was Solid Snake, Roy the from Fire Emblem, and uh, Mewtwo. Well, you know, before Snake lost his butt, he was a good-looking guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that, that, that petition, bring back Snake's full, full rich butt. <laughs> and no, the best part is at the end, she sees Bayonetta, and is like, I'd call her a dish. Yeah, absolutely. But my grandma's the last person I would expect to say that. 
better. Uh, old fun. people say wonderful things sometimes. She totally does. She's a sweetheart. They just shock us from left field. They say things we never imagined them to. Oh, she hates she hates swearing. To her, shut up is a swear word. She hates to say. Uh, the really? one video game I've done close to her like is because we watch the Batman movies, the Chris Nolan ones. I've been playing Telltale Batman and having her say the dialogue and action choices to make. Uh, speaking of Quantic Dream. And there was one where she just plainly said the option, don't piss me off. And I turned to her and went, Mimi! <laughs> okay, that, that, that's a lot of tangents. We are about to come up on the time we agree we would stop. But I think we've made it clear that we both do approve of Death Parade quite a bit. Um, yeah, I've definitely. kind of spoken what I feel as a string. I feel like it emotionally resonated with me. It is a very unique concept that it does a lot of clever world building and uh, expectation defying with. It is gorgeous, well acted, and well written and directed. And like I said, looking at this director's cred, I get it. Especially because this was probably a labor of love for him. Uh, I'm sad it didn't seem to do well. It definitely didn't do well in Japan. And here it seems to be more of a minor, like well regarded. But I don't, like, yeah, not that many anime fans I talk to have even heard of it. But I'd say seek it out whichever way you have to. See if it's your thing. It's not long either. Twelve half hour episodes. Uh, one of my favorite things I've seen the past couple of years. Um, what are some of your overall thoughts, if you have any? I, I mirror a lot of what you've said about it, John. And uh, also, I'd like to point out, if there's anyone that's listening from the UK, you can watch this on Crunchyroll. Uh, that oh, yes, yes. Watch it I'm pretty here. sure Crunchyroll, like I said, I think, I'm pretty sure Crunchyroll said over here. Hulu had it last I checked, sub only. Uh, I think Funimation Service is the way to legit stream the dub. Uh, you can also buy it on Blu-ray if you want. Um, so there's plenty of options for you to watch it, and you most yeah. definitely should. It's a very well animated, very well acted series. The music's fantastic. Um, as we've mentioned earlier, I didn't watch the dub; I only watched the sub. But I thought that the um, the, the dialogue was delivered in a very believable way, and I can only judge it from the emotion that yeah. I, I felt that I heard in the. Yeah. In the Again, like I said, I do prefer the English decum, but I don't doubt that the sub had quality voice acting. Oh yeah, no, the voices were very, very well done. Actually, another yeah, little just, shout out: the voice of Chuki in the dub is Panty from Panty and Stocking. Oh, I bought that the other day. I really need to watch it. Yeah, that's a pretty good show. It's gorgeous. Um, and also, she's in the Danganronpa anime because uh, they recast a lot of those characters from the games. And she's a very important character, but I won't say that's a series that's easy to spoil, so I won't say anything. <laughs> now there is a series of games that I really need to get into. Yes, do you really, I really do? Because I know you like Persona, and do you like Ace Attorney? I've never really played Ace Attorney. I'd say try that um, too. That's more lighthearted, it. but um, yeah. even though it's a murder I mystery really too. A DS player, so I, I didn't really ever get around to the. Uh, Duncan Rumpa can crack you one minute and tear your heart out the next. It's one of the and it's some of the best twists I think I've seen in any medium. Like each each sequel, they managed to totally subvert my expectations. So props to them. I was going to buy one, and then I realized it was like some sort of shooter. It was weird. That's yeah, yeah. That's a midquel spinoff. It's not very good, and honestly, it's pretty inessential. I'd watch. I'd watch YouTube of, of compilations of that one. Yeah, that seems like a good way to do it. Uh, yeah, so um, pretty much exactly what you said uh, is a really good show. It's definitely worth watching, and um, you can watch it pretty much for free if you're willing to sit through adverts and um, it deserves or, or do some shady ways of finding streaming I mean they're shady ways but honestly like if you can watch it legally and for a very low cost then yeah. watch it legally this is know, a show I, like I was saying this is a little known I would love for people to support this because that sends the message that there's an audience for it definitely definitely um, and if you're a fan of things like Death Note it's got a very similar art style so, yeah it yeah, is it deals with death and psychological mind games but in a different way Hmm. I, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I've really got to say about it. It's just, it's a very, very good show and uh, criminally underrated, frankly. 
I agree. Uh, I have a lot of favorite things that are criminally underrated. That's that's, that's my lot in life. <laughs> that's true. That's that's that was our, our that was Chris and I's last pair of episodes. He picked something that we love that nobody knows about. He picked Little Nemo, um, and mm. I picked Dragon Hunters. Uh. And I doubt you've seen either of those. I've not. No. <laughs> I'll add them to the list of things to watch. Uh, well, go listen to those episodes first because we were. I want to. You should probably listen to our thoughts on both of them. I guess I was going to say we spoil the limo, but it's a very simple, kid-friendly plot. So honestly, I don't think the best parts of that are in just the writing. Uh, Dragon Hunters, I love, and he was kind of indifferent too. So, hmm. you know. Okay. Well, I'll give him a look. Yes, and so that's the end of episode twenty-nine. Uh, I want to thank you again both for joining us, uh, for putting up with my hour-long delay. I'm so red in the face about that. Uh, that's a learning experience. And I hope that uh, it's very possible we have listeners who didn't who haven't heard Felipe or Tyler or Mark's episodes. So check out the animation. I'll bet many of them haven't checked out uh, International or what was the other one, the wrestling one? Uh, so, yeah, the wrestling podcast is Weird Science. Um, you can find that on iTunes. Yeah, and same with the ERE and, and, and Jenna. So, yeah. Yeah, also check out fanofmedia.com. It's a hub for a lot of them. Uh, they're under the same podcast network. And where can people find you on Twitter and the like if they want to follow you? Well, if they want to follow me on Twitter, they can find me at Real Dave Roberts. And, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where you're going to find me just ranting about football and God knows what else is happening at the time. But, uh, pretty you know, wide variety of things, I'd say. Uh, I try to keep it varied, but the language is always pretty, pretty coarse. Oh, yes, yes. And you look at a tweet and you go, that's so Dave. <laughs> Isn't one of the bumpers a blooper for, for, your, for your podcast, a blooper when you just yelled, God fucking damn it? That yeah, funny story about that. That's actually from our pilot episode. Yeah, it's not a pr- proper one. It's just funny. It's not. Yeah, and it just kind of became a. a, a oh, thing. and actually, that just reminded me. Um, this is early in the in general animation when you it was go- the Golden Boy episode. Uh, oh and, man! Well, first I want to say that was you against the world in that case. It and I like kind of wish I had guessed it back then because I normally don't like fan service stuff. Golden Boy's fucking hilarious. Oh, good man. Yeah, good man. You I got you back there. I think Mark side. might have too. He said, "Yeah, um, yeah. Chris might too." Chris actually is okay with fan service most of the time, so I I feel like that's something he, he could get behind. No, Golden Boy is just so insane, and and even the dub like that lead just gives it his all, and I was just howling He's, a lot of it. Um, I just it's just it doesn't take itself too seriously. No, you know, that's what helps. It knows it knows what it's doing, and then it doesn't really why. feel exploitative either. They actually flesh out a lot of those girls um, yeah. and make it very clear that this league always comes up as a piece of shit so but uh, my point is that you started that episode angry about something and yelled fuck a duck and Felipe's response was have you ever actually fornicated with a mallard Dave <laughs> I forgot that line that stuck to me because I, that's a question I never imagined hearing somebody ask oh dear oh dear oh and I still haven't <sighs> that's okay that's okay that's probably for the better probably a good thing yeah, so uh, as for, I believe, yeah, we're going to be hitting episode 30 the next time. Um, another move move forward in our upper digits. What do you call the first digit in a number? I guess it depends. Um, we don't actually, I'm not actually 100% sure who the next guest or topic will be. Uh, but I think I said the same thing about Felipe's episode two before we had firmly confirmed you and, and Death Parade. I almost said Death Note. Uh, so again, follow us on Twitter at SketchWatchPlay and Facebook.com slash sketchwatch play because we'll we'll usually post announcements about future episodes and bonus material there rather than bonus episodes but yeah i think it's okay to let dave go and 
Thank you all for listening. Please check out Death Parade. I'd say check out Detroit Become Human. And you would say at least check out uh, Flash and Supergirl, correct? I would definitely say that, yeah. Maybe check out Arrow. Don't check out... Uh, I, I think if you if you like something maybe a little bit darker than Flash and Supergirl, then uh, Arrow is definitely going to play yeah. too. And I do. Like, my favorite superhero film of all time is probably Dark Knight. Ah, oh, well, there you go. I, I think definitely uh, early Arrow is uh, is very, very good. And then mm. it's just kind of like a law of diminishing returns. So um, jump Much off like Dead. when you feel like jumping off. Yep. Much like Walking Dead. And... Oh, gotcha. That will bring things to a close. And I am John Flurry. I'm Dave Roberts. And I should have told you how we end things beforehand because that resulted in a pause. That's on That's me. Fine. My we bad. can edit that in post. No, no. I like to do little <laughs> end jokes. This is, I set myself up for this unintentionally. It worked out great. Good night, everybody. <laughs> bye bye.